How's it going, guys? I'm Zeke. Whoa, and I'm Jay. And you're listening to the Cinema Sideshow Podcast, episode 132. Bloody slam the brakes, sir. You're going too fast. Dude. 100 miles an hour. Sorry, 131. 131. Wow. 131, right? Yeah, That's cool. illegal on most I rates. did 132, and I was like, wow. Oh, did you? Yeah. Now you're <laughs> really jumping ahead, mate. <laughs> yeah, I was just coming in so fast. Oh, like, goodness. Lightning McQueen. I, I was speed. Um, <laughs> this is our MCU oh. edition episode. Yeah, so um, for those who don't know, it's been a little while since we've seen an MCU film come to cinemas, and we figured with that and... Well, the shows that came out earlier in the year, we should make this an MCU exclusive episode. Which we've yeah. we've tried to hold off on our uh, critical conversations in, in this department because we knew this episode was eventually going to come. Mm. Um, because yeah, it's honestly this is obviously you know we're in now. What is this called? What is this technically called? Phase two? Is this phase, phase four? Phase four. Okay, phase whatever. Four. <laughs> um, who knows? I, I, we're in the I new... I hear that James Gunn is directing an MCU movie <laughs> in this upcoming and, phase two. And yeah, like, it, obviously we're moving into this and, and we really would like to, I think, in the future try and do this with yeah. with the shows on Disney Plus and, and the movie and the cinema. Do it all in one hit so we're not constantly... I, I personally yeah. am a little weathered from this uh, franchise, so having an episode just for it is fine. Um, and then it just saves it all. Like every week, we have to have some form of MCU conversation. Yeah, we well, it's it's funny because this I saw this for Wonder Vision, and it's still happening. Is a lot of people would just start podcasts just to talk about these shows, and the way they structure the conversations is so poor. I remember this guy I'm I'm not really friends with anymore, but he started a new podcast I think earlier in the year, and within 50 seconds of his first episode, he's talking about spoilers for Wonder Vision. I'm like, what are these people thinking? Mm. So I, I, you're right. I like the structure of us. We, you know, we mention them if we start watching them, mm-hmm. but to save our critical reviews, our spoiler discussion, save it all for the one big blowout. Because yeah. now we can talk about Black Widow as well as the other. Yeah. Shows. So obviously we're just going to go straight off the bat before um, we get jumped into the rest of the the normal proceedings of the show, yeah. um, and just say everything is going to be spoiled in. This, yes. So um, we're going to spoil One Division, Falcon Winter Soldier. Loki season one, that's mm-hmm. important, and of course Black Widow the movie. So cool, but that'll be, be in up. the second half of the show, obviously. Yeah. And I guess everything else before beforehand, <laughs> all that the other phases. Can, yeah, a, yeah. So exactly. But um, yeah, Zeke, Black Widow. A little trivia. Is there any trivia? Yeah, just to tease that second half of the show, we're going to start yeah. with obviously our trivia of the week. So I thought this was a really interesting one, and yeah, I admit, before the start of the show, I was frantically looking for a fact, because generally, <laughs> films that have been around for 90 years have a few more well-known, Easy, cool facts. Um, but I like this one, and I think it actually ties into sort of this longevity of, of, of pre, well, post-production campaign this is at to in order to get this film out oh, to a course, cinema. of course, because of COVID, yeah. So the film was originally intended to be released on May 1st, 2020. Uh, just six days before the tenth anniversary of Iron Man Two, which was oh. Natasha's first appearance uh, in the MCU, so this was meant to tie in with the tenth anniversary of Scarlett Johansson actually being in the MCU. That makes sense, yeah, and that that's kind of a shame. And it was, it was I know it was meant to kick off Phase, but it was meant to be the first thing of Phase Four, and of course that that acclaim went to one division, and then it goes yeah. at that next level. Uh, another oh. projected release date was May seventh, which would have been the exact anniversary of the eleventh. A year, but oh. of course it got cancelled and pushed back even further. Jeez, that's a shame. 
Um, <laughs> which I actually think is really important because this film was supposed to come out before all of the shows, right? Yeah. Technically. Before any of the shows we're about to talk and about. So, yeah. I think that that's really interesting because we're going to talk about placements with that film a bit later in the, mm. the show. Yeah, exactly. Well, my trivia is a little more cast-related, of course. There were a few actresses considered for the role of Yelena, of course, Scarlett Hansen's sister in this film, uh, two of which I noticed were alongside Florence Pugh, Emma Watson and Saoirse Ronan. And, of course, all three of them are in Little Women uh, alongside the unmentioned Eliza Scanlon, sadly. But I'm going to mention Eliza Scanlon at the end of the episode, a little tease. Mm. Right well, there. to be fair, yeah, she is the uh, the one that has the most dire fate in that film. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, There's a so. lot of dire fates going on with this cast, I tell you. <laughs> she has it rough, Eliza Scanlon. She dies in a lot of she movies. She dies in a lot of movies, which makes me very upset. Yeah. Every movie I've seen her in, she I, dies. I, I, was about, I literally, three for three, yeah. Yeah. She's turning into the, the new John Hurt. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen Sharp Objects yet, which sounds like an excellent miniseries. Mm. I've got it on Blu-ray, I haven't seen it yet, but... We'll see. But yeah, I just thought that was funny that all the little women were considered... It would be really funny to look role. at an actor's film live-to-die ratio. Yeah, some, not, someone has some bad morta- Like a mortality rate in a, yeah, yeah. in a film. It just depends if this one counts for... Uh, I shouldn't say it. I mean, who can- you're listening. It's spoiler-filled. We're yeah. listening. I wonder if, if this film, if the Black Widow film counts as a death or not for, for uh, Scarlett Johansson. Because we see a gravestone. Mm. But we don't see a death. It's true. I it don't know. It's true. Um, yeah, so time to move into basically what we've watched in generally what we watched in the last week, but we chose mm. to veto, kind of do the bub, the MCU bubble. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're going to go through show by show. Do we want to go? You've got to tell me, Zeke. Is yes. Black Widow on the 1100 right. poster behind um, you? I'm going to say no. You're correct. Seeing as the post was probably made in 2018. <laughs> 2018 is the last. Yeah. I mean, I think Love Simon is the last entry on it. Really? Yeah, wow. that's a random one, isn't it? It'd be odd. I haven't and seen no it. No Green Mile for Love Simon. It's just saying. To be honest, I haven't seen it, but it gave me looking even at the poster. It's like a perks of being a wallflower. Kind yeah, of. it's kind of like <laughs> perks of being a wallflower light. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah. time to move into these shows. So what do we want to do? We want to go chronologically on yeah, this uh, release release dates? So, yes. Yeah. So let's start with One Division. Which um, I'm going to say is probably my favorite of all four of the properties we're talking about today. Okay. Um, and we I mean, we talked about this a bit earlier in the year, but we'll obviously get go deeper into it. Um, I've I've and it's actually funny because these shows were just nominated for Emmys, and um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen's up for an Emmy. Um, Paul Bettany's up for an Emmy. Mm-hmm. Um, Catherine Hahn's up for an Emmy. I'm imagine all the technical stuff, the editing, and especially the production design. I think it's all worthy. I, I love that. I would have to... Um, so this one was interesting because obviously this has ended up being the first of the three releases mm. and it wasn't meant to be the first of the three releases. No. Um, it was meant to be behind both of the, its preceding... I think I'm, I think Loki was always still meant to be last. Okay, so... But Falcon was definitely meant to open up the shows. You can kind of see why I'm sure we'll dump into that one shortly, but mm. I did enjoy WandaVision. Um, mm. I think from a technical point of view, it is easily obviously got the most character... Yeah. Um, it's it's very inventive. Yeah, I think what, if you look at the model of success, at least with, in my opinion, like my, how my MCU rankings play out, mm. the films that often either subvert or 
at least try and expand on what this genre's uh, production and and um, pre-production considerations are are the ones that I often find the best. I mean, I really like Guardians 1 um, because it was the first one to really try just go for more puerile comedy. Mm. And unfortunately, there was a real negative legacy that came out of that, which I feel like all film... <laughs> and we're going to talk probably about films that... How these bath, films are now... Bathos, yeah. Now opting, now they all got to be quippy and sharp and have a lot of humor in them mm. for no real reason other than, well, it was good in Guardians, so they rinse and repeat the formula. Every, everyone wants to be funny now. No yeah. one wants to be taken seriously. Was Guardians the first one to do that, though? I think purely. Like, when oh, I say, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because watch, watch, like, the Phase 1 stuff and look how serious every character pretty yeah, much yeah. is. Bar maybe Robert Downey Jr.'s character as Iron Man, but it's kind of, it's in his persona. Yeah. It's more he's entertaining and carrot like yeah and he's and the performance is different like and i'm going to talk about this tone. a lot in in black widow how certain actors deal with that having to deliver jokey lines in the same sentence as a serious line um i think one actress in particular does a really interesting job of that but yeah i think when you, yeah you look at that it's like tony stark delivers that comedy that's his character mm-hmm. but then you see someone like four four starts doing comedy and it's like that's a completely different character yeah, the delivery is just completely different. Yeah, and I, I think that that's what I liked about and tying it back to One Division. I think that the unique um, pre- presentation format that still actually keeps itself within the um, superhero genre mm. story, like to keep that in the arc, was is why that, in a lot of ways, is the most impressive um, of the three films from a technical point of view. The fact that for at least uh, three quarters of the show, um, it's runtime that they're adhering to literally going through the decades of, of television yeah. and they, they're doing it to, to a T. And I, I think there's a lot of things I like and I probably am with you. I probably think it is my favorite and even talking about it now, I'm like, I'm starting to know why I like this one more right? because yeah. it, it, it paces itself really well. The episodes are not too long, but they no. vary. Well, they vary depending on, the importance of the story and then yeah, the, well, the, the, the earlier sitcom stuff is, is closer to that 20 minute runtime. Mm. Then when things start to get serious and closer to an hour is when they start to leave that reality. There, there is genuine creativity. And then they still manage to, you know, help characterize these two characters that have been in it, uh, the universe for a while, but mm. not really had their own sort of screen time and stuff. Yeah. And if we talk about, that's really the purpose of all three of the shows is to characterize this new generation of, yeah. of, of superheroes because you know we're we're going without um some of the you know some of these older ones now because of the events of um you know Endgame and I think what frustrate I mean I think it really loses steam in those last couple of episodes yeah the it really I said this to our mate Stephen the other we were talking about it and I said one division is like the perfect triple backflip that breaks one of their legs on the landing like that last episode especially it's so disappointing because it's not only that it like starts to show its budget because instead of adhering to these classic rules of sitcoms, the way it's shot, the way it's dressed, the way they perform, like their performances, I think are, are spectacular because of the way they sort of mm-hmm. mold and shift throughout. Is like Elizabeth Olsen has to be, you know, this caring wife slash eventual mother throughout the episodes. Like th- there's such a clever little shift there to to be an ode to those shows, those sitcoms. And then by the last episode, it's like oh laser battles and oh look 
we're bringing Vision back to life, even though the clear ending of the show should have been her letting go of Vision. Yeah. I, clearly. And I, I think that, and we're going to probably talk about, more mm. importantly, that these films, the, these films and these shows are kind of means to ends because characters' mortality rates when we get to Loki, mm. will literally be intangible. Like, it doesn't matter, <laughs> really. They basically now are just like, well, death means nothing in this genre. And, and I yeah. think that that is what's becoming increasingly more frustrating um, because, you know, we're, we're sitting here and, and the point of this show, I, I think that, that that triple backflip breaking leg on, that is a fantastic way of describing it because <laughs> the last 20 to 30 minutes of this show make... They make obviously sense, but they're they're lazy. I think, and they're, they're not they're playing it safe. The fact they bring back Paul Bettany's character when you've finally given him uh, this beautiful moment of pure humanization, really, you know, yeah. this thing that this sentient being that is not human and yet has completely developed feelings and 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 self awareness, and to just um, sort of throw that away and especially when you're making like the you know because obviously in the show in the latter episodes we reveal that this is it sword is that what this organization shield no it's the it's it's a different thing yeah it's not shield um i think it is sword or saber or something like that i, I, I don't remember but you're talking about like the government evil, even evil government people that are trying to weaponize vision which look right okay um yeah. and i you know i can actually give that a pass it's the fact that evil vision's evil vision for 15 minutes and then <laughs> and then after a little conversation is completely undone basically yeah and, yeah and it will become eventually like good guy vision again and it's like i mean why not just make him evil if you want to give paul bettany a paycheck you know like he's well the fact the fact that you go into that and it's like yeah i don't mind that inherently because that you can juxtapi- juxtapose them wanting to make vision a weapon versus someone who loves vision as a person, mm-hmm. which is sort of the whole debate with Vision has with himself the whole time. The problem is, it doesn't make sense because now you have them be like, we can't revive him, we can't revive him. Oh, yes, we can. Now let's make him evil. And then that quick turnaround of making him just watch the events back. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, now we have a perfect Vision with with that has the memory mm-hmm. of the past events and as if nothing ever matters. Yeah. And it's like, for God's Plus sake. It, at the end of the day, the, the, the systematic problem with this thing was it was what Wonder new vision as it's not actually vision in these projections that Wanda yeah. is projecting this is the projection of of Wanda which means she he probably wouldn't have all of the memories that the original vision has because yeah the, it's it's so lazy that's the problem mind. exactly because it's like that would be like saying if I made a complete recreation of you and all of oh, my no. and <laughs> all of the memories that I'm create and put into you are just from my perspective of yeah. you. And that doesn't make... You won't be the same person. You'll just be the person that I perceive you as. And that's that's how... And that's to me, is why... And so the fact that he does that download and suddenly he's the exact same... It makes, that actually <laughs> doesn't it. make any sense. No, we're just... I, I just don't like the decision. Because, like I said, it was such a perfect arc that they were showing of Wanda creating this, like, hex. I think it's called the hex and all these people and... And I loved how dark it was by nature. The fact that she's sort of mind controlling this whole town of people for her yeah, own grief. The natural ending is that she accepts that grief and lets him go. And I know she kind of does that. She doesn't realize Visions is still alive. But why can't that be the end of that story? Why is he still alive? It just frustrates me. And, no it, and it and it 
and that's what I'm going to kind of get to is, is the fact that as we go through these shows and then into the film of the week, we're really going to start to see that, you know, this, this, you know, this big grand in, you know, infinity war end game, all oh, them saying people are going to die. People are going to die. Is, right. It's just, it's, it's malarkey. It's, it's a, a snake oil salesman way of doing it. You know, <laughs> it would be like, honestly, I mean, I, I made the comparison to the, I'm going to talk a little bit more about sort of that action genre and stuff. And mm. there is, uh, a show that I did watch in last week that I'm not going to include in this conversation to adhere to our point of this, but there is another superhero show that has come out that basically takes all of this these frustrations that are becoming, sorry, uh, quite compounded with the MCU and completely goes and fixes all of them because right. it's a show that reflects mortality, which these are getting increasingly harder and less believable about mortality mm. because... Do our characters really in danger? In the the fact that we saw him die, and that was a really sad moment in Infinity War. And the whole point of this show is that you're 100 percent right. She can't control this. The fact is, she needs to accept she has lost control of this situation and actually done a really horrible thing. And they still find a way to somehow spin it that she was still a good person. And I, you know, I still think there's a bit of ambu. I hate saying this word ambu. Ambiguity? Ambiguity, yeah. I always mm. try and get guity in there. Mm. I, I still think that's in there, and I still think there's room for her, in, and she's going to be in the new Doctor Strange film that's coming out. And apparently Loki is too, which that all kind of makes sense that those characters yeah. are all meeting. Especially in. when we talk about that show. Yeah, well, all the timeline stuff that we're going to get into. And th- this show kind of touches on it. Well, we'll get into that, don't worry. But well, there's I, there's... A lot of, I would like to do, just adding on mm. that Doctor Strange stuff, because this ties into WandaVision. Yep. What were your thoughts that, he was meant to be at the end of this show. Was he meant to be at the end? That was a big... That was. A big I think hooper. people just complained because he wasn't there. They wanted a bigger cameo than we got. We, I, I don't he's believe not, He's not in it at all. Like, like Yeah, he's not sh- in WandaVision. Um, because he didn't I guess be. the... Well, <laughs> the, the counter is that it's a big magical entity and his whole point of his job is to detect that stuff and, and fix it. Yeah, but, but I feel like the guy who would have told you that counter... <laughs> I don't know. It's just like I understand the point of it would have taken away from Wanda, which it, it's it's her story. But on the same token, it's like, well, then why isn't why isn't Doctor Strange in Loki? And and it's I, the same probably, point. Probably but why that. are people angry about that in One Division? Mm. I'm sorry, but sometimes I think it's just a gender thing when people complain about this shit. Yeah. Any, I don't know, but I, I just I, in terms of the storytelling, I get it. I get it's tempting to have these big cameos and things. But I think I I I, think I, I yeah it. I, I didn't think it needed it either. But I like I said I don't like that the show, like multiple shows, has decided just it wants to keep characters around. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I hate sake. that Vision's still alive. I hate that because particularly in this show, even from a you know you can take the cynical side out and be like, oh well, the actors just getting more work and and stuff like that. But even just from a story point of view, her arc. Is, is incoherent because he stays alive. Because, yeah, I think it is ambiguous. Like, I, I think she did a wrong thing and she's not forgiven for it at all. Yeah, I think fact. there's plenty of room in the next film for her to, to to continue with that arc. But I think that's great. It's And, you know, you take the power and, you, and this is going to be a consistent thread that it's like these are very talented actors. And I think, yeah. I think Olsen and Bettany are, are probably my favourite duo out of the right. duos that we're going to be talking about in these three shows. Mm. 
Um, and they bounce off each other so well. And, and you know, Bettany has always been quite particularly very talented at comedic delivery in a character that's meant to be quite monotone. Yeah. And, and it fits because this is all sort of old-timey sitcom humor they're delivering. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's the the jokes that... And this, I love when people were upset about this, like the first couple of episodes. Like, oh, it's... You know, it, it's really cringe humorous. I'm like, don't you get what they're doing? Yeah. And like, I, they're doing such a good job at homaging that. Why are you... I don't know. I get no, I agree. People get upset about that. I agree because... And this comes back to the technical writing and ability to recreate these, these decades of, of television is why out of the three shows, it's probably the most, on all elements of film, mm. the strongest of the three. Yeah, because it actually plays with filmic conventions it plays with the camera and the cinematography plays with the set design mm. i just i loved all those aspects. i mean even the songs are catchy yeah a couple like come on man like there's so much good stuff in here and, and like i said i, I think i think the, the ending ruins it for me a little bit absolutely no i definitely i think i was sitting on like i think i ended up giving it a three and a half and i no, was yeah. definitely sitting on a four um, I, me too. I was sitting on four until the ending. Um, and it's like literally, I think it's just that last episode because I like her origin stuff that she does with Agatha. I yeah. think you know we talk about. I was talking about the duet, but a lot of the ensemble cast is very entertaining. Probably the strongest ensemble cast too. I reckon sure. Catherine Hahn. I the only thing is I haven't actually looked at the Emmy nominations yet. I just know that Elizabeth Olsen's involved or ill nominated for the the lead category in the mm. uh, limited series. My guess is that there is a mayor of... I think it's mayor of Easttown or mayor... Yeah, mayor of Easttown. I think that's the name of it. I know that's a big show that's probably in that same category. Probably someone from that's going to win. But I think Catherine Hahn, i got to check the category, but I think she's got a great chance of winning. She's mm-hmm. a fan favorite by yeah. far. It was a... It was an incredible... It was Agatha along. Um, <laughs> no, it's... Exactly. Um, I actually think, yeah. It was a... F- it was probably the strongest of the three shows. Um... <laughs> Because it did, it was the most technically unique and proficient. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the storytelling, I think, in particularly the first six or seven episodes, is does a really good line of creating intrigue and um, mystery. That's kind of you are kind of trying to figure out what's to happen. Yeah, and, and you know, I really, I'm very positive on this show. I think, uh, I think, for the most part, but yeah, the ending is is really frustrating. You yeah. on if it. it doesn't stick the landing. <laughs> exactly right. That's for sure. Well, the next one that came out, of course, pretty much only a week after this ended, was the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And um, for me, it's probably the other way around. This is probably my least favorite. No, definitely agree. Of the free shows, including the contest. Black Widow film. Um, yeah. Look, I. This is where, and you mentioned it in terms of baffos and in terms of characters with quippy, jokey dialogue. I thought Loki was pretty bad with it, but this was this was distractingly bad in this in this show. And I think there's some great. I'm going to say the same thing for Loki. I think there's great overarching threads and plot developments. I think the plot to Loki, specifically the plot, is great. And I think the Falcon Winter Soldier is not necessarily plot, but some of the wider implications and the themes. I think they really nail it and they get there. But my God, the you can tell that. An executive sat down, watched Civil War, and was like, huh, that's a funny joke when he asked the movie Seat Up, mm-hmm. and they made the show because of that, and they tried to recapture that same joke over and over and over again, and I can't stand that banter. I can't. Yeah, there's... I actually think, and and this is a common thread between the three, but 
more particularly in actually including the film of the week, but it, with Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki, the scenes that were more serious and had serious um, acting in mm. them were where all four of those central characters, the two in this and, and the two in Loki, that's where they hit home the best. I think okay. perform- their performances, like they're not quippy, funny people. Like they just don't have that natural, they don't have that. Honestly, they just don't have that kind of Chris Pratt, natural comedic delivery. And so it really feels when they're trying to be quippy and stuff, it, it feels forced and contrived. Like, right. like you said, like some guy is sitting there going, Oh, well people thought that was funny. Let's do more of that. Yeah. That's weird sort like. of childlike humor at times. Like the, when they sit down and do that therapy session, oh, between that's, the t- that's horrible. <laughs> that was I, just so silly. I, like why? I just do not think, Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie are naturally comedic people. And that, does, that doesn't mean they're bad actors. They're just some people that are better at doing these comedic roles. It's the reason why um, in some of your favorite comedy films, there's a consistent lineup of your, you know, your Ben Stillers. And, your, you know, we had did Tropic Thunder a few weeks on the show, you know, mm. a couple of weeks back. A lot of those actors are naturally charismatically funny people. And it's why a lot of them have actually been confided to that genre of, of movie. But see, I don't know if I even like saying it's that the actors just don't have the chops for it because I don't, I don't know if that's the problem. I just think the writing and the the conversations they're having. I think it's the circumstance they're in is, I just don't buy it. Like do you, do you, when when they had that scene in the the the, the therapy room or what they're doing that little therapy session, I wasn't seeing them be like, oh, they can't act off each other. It's like no, this this whole situation. Feel so contrived, and like, like, yeah. what, like th- this is so silly. Like, I just don't. Yeah, it's a it's a buddy buddy this. cop show. I know with the, the biggest budget a buddy cop show's ever had. <laughs> um, I it just it's so distracting because there are so many great. I mean, I love the whole thing with um Daniel Wyatt, Brule. Anything with I was, was going to say Wyatt Russell. He is. Amazing. Oh, Wyatt Russell. Oh, yeah, Wyatt Russell. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I think that, and this is actually. I 100% agree. I think yeah. White Russell's great. It is the most frustrating thing that he gets such a backseat in the show. He gets one kind of DM's um de- deep and meaningful scene with his um partner Battlestar was it? Um that's the first scene we meet him basically, isn't it? Well, there's that and then there's the scene just before Battlestar gets killed. Um, oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. And they're talking about... about I thought you meant, in... like, him and the girl in the locker room in episode two. Yeah, yeah no. Okay. The, uh, the okay. other... Okay. That's the intro scene, and then he doesn't get anything else, really, until yeah. that that real deep and meaningful scene, and then his friend gets killed, and then, you know, he has his full, big, corrupt, evil moment. And, yeah. In which they don't even stay on that for that long, really, then. Well, it's funny because, see, see, I love that moment so much. Um, I think it just comes together really well, his anger and then the, the iconography of the blood on the on the Captain America shield. It's like, that's a great moment. And that was what flicked it for me. I was like, mm. okay, let me get to the end of this series. Let me see how I feel. Because I ultimately still gave it like a freestyle review. Like, look, it's okay. Like, that band just stuff really bugged me, but that was mostly the first half of the show. Yeah. And, and what I loved about that sort of Captain America thing, to me, that was an example of exploring the idea of a government that is just crumbling at its own feet, you know, searching for a needle in a haystack, being like, okay, well, we need someone to replace Captain America. We need someone. Just pick whoever. Pick I, pick what the algorithm picks. Well, I, and we I, find a crazy look, I give I give credit for, <laughs> for what Wyatt Russell does with the relatively limited, but he does get a backseat to the buddy cop 
story yeah. and he shouldn't what? because his character deserved to have a bit more time i think exploring it a little bit more the deep yeah. intricacies of his character I, to make that turn all the more um potent but instead there there was just too much i think going on with this show and not enough uh, there was not enough time to kind of get it all out there i think i think well, i think a lot of time was wasted on other things like you got i can figure this out real quick but it's a mini series so you got time you've got 300 you got exactly 300 minutes according to letterbox mm. to tell this story and you can I, like, I think they wasted it on junk like the therapy session <laughs> oh we need some I mean, laughs we, we need zemo dancing we need zemo dancing no we didn't need zemo dancing it was <laughs> i actually really like daniel Bruhl in this show i think he's one of those people that i really i think so it's why civil war sits very close to the top of my list for f- best films i think right. he's a really good character to have in it I do think, unfortunately, he, he, particularly um, him, and I'm not 100% sure. I'm trying to get off the top of my list. I think it's Emily Van Camp. I have to double-check that one. Oh, um, Peggy's niece. Yes. Peggy's niece. Um, who I'm forgetting her, her name. They both <laughs> then just keep adding to an already pretty saturated lineup. You and know, it's actually interesting you mention her because I had the same feeling of... She, her character is so unrecognizable in the show, and I get that there has me, there's meant to have been a turn off screen when she became mm. a fugitive after Civil War. Yeah, I get that, but on the same token, I was like, who is this bloody ca-? Shannon? Shannon Carter. Mm. This is one of my notes. Uh, she and and she kind of just seemed horrible. <laughs> yeah, like I get she was mean and like oh I'm a, I, like I'm vengeful because if this happened to me and I'm blaming someone, but it was just she was so unlikable in this show. Yeah, it, and honestly, it was a and that just kept adding to the saturation and it really detracted away from trying to make like Wyatt Russell's struggle is from a psychological point of view is is a really interesting. Like his character is John John Smith, isn't John it? Walker, John Walker. Um. Uh, his character is is <laughs> so particular. generic. I love it. Yeah, it's it, perfect. It, it, it to me is one of the most interesting parts of the show. And yeah, that is one of the best scenes. That scene when he kills with the blood on the shoe, the iconography, yeah. the pacing of the scene, and you feel that moment. But and he honestly gets the best moments in the show. And it's not because he's given those moments. I think he claws them out of the scenes he's given. Um, <laughs> because I think they give too much time to to this Sebastian Sam Mackie relationship that. Look, Ma- oh, I oh. think Mackie is important. His journey is really important in this show. I don't see the the point of like his. I like the idea that he rejects the idea of being Captain America. And he has very real reasons, and I think it gets tied a little bit too easily into a neat little bow that he then decides at the end of the show to kind of go back on that, embrace the Captain America archetype, but with his own. I guess at least it's with his own but spin. I, no, but this is what I think. It is, that's why I'm talking about. Right, Russell having this arc where the government scrambles to just pick someone because someone has to take this mm. mantle, and then that's through those events and through what happens when he ends up killing that guy, and like mm. everyone's filming it, and we realize, oh, Captain America is evil. Like this idea of who Captain America is is now an evil, murderous thug. That's when he realizes, shit, I need to be Captain America because yeah. I'm the one that I didn't think I could be responsible for this, but I've seen other people do this. Maybe I am responsible mm. for this. So I bought that whole arc. I like that. Mm. But, and and to the point, like, I, I think there's a lot of issues with their specific relationship and their banter and that. But the show is called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So I'm not too upset that they get the majority of the screen time. 
But I agree. True. I agree. I would just call it the Falcon and just get rid of his. <laughs> really, and, and to be honest, it's. I'm not saying that his. Um, he too doesn't deserve to sort of have his own limelight, the, the right. Winter Soldier. I, I think the whole idea of particularly, I think, you know, the idea of him actually dealing with Steve leaving is probably more important for him than it mm. is for Mackie's character because Mackie's character has now got a different thing. It's not about living up, like like you said, what you just, the events of the show still happen the same way if, if you take out the Winter Soldier side. You just miss... Right, you just, okay. It, okay, yeah. Like... He's yeah and okay. To be honest, he gets that intro scene where he remember he has like the nightmare scene and he has and he's crossing people off lists and <laughs> the end of the end of his arc is he tells the guy that he killed the dude's son. Yeah, that's pretty much all he does in this film in terms of his own arc. That's it. And which that's pretty. You, unfa- you blew my mind a little bit just then, where he's not important to the plot or the Falcon's arc. No, he's not. That's yeah. I cannot... Yeah, yeah, wow. He does a couple of plot convenient... Like, things that he knows. Like, he knew about the African-American uh, uh, super soldier. Like, little... Oh, yeah, had, like, little connections little, and stuff. Little... Just enough to allow... But thi- to- things you could easily just write out if you're like, we or, don't need this or character. Or Mackie's character could discover through another one of the characters in the scene, you know? Yeah, like, wow. Like, through Brawl's character. That's but, interesting. Yeah, that's real interesting. Hmm. Could this, and I know we're talking about they should have spent more time on this, less time on this. Could this have been a two-hour film? Yes. Yeah. If you take out the yeah. Winter Soldier and you focus on the John Walker stuff and the Falcon stuff, you've got a pretty <sighs> tight, good film. See, that just kind of got me excited. If they just focused on that stuff yeah. you and did... take out the banter from the first half of the show, yeah, I just... You 100% could. Yeah. And 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 I think that that's, that's the real shame of the show because I think his journey is really important, but it doesn't require it didn't require them to become friends they like yeah. i don't understand why every they like when you saw when steve left at the end of endgame i didn't think oh well these two need to be friends they both just had a mutual friend like that's that could have been their relationship well yeah well that's obviously they, why they decided like well these two they're both going to miss steve and they probably both have ownership of their own relationships with steve but it's completely so, different relationships like, yeah I astronomically know, different like uh, i mean like Anthony Mackie's character, the Falcon, I like he respected Steve mostly, but it wasn't the same sort of growing up on the same street. Yeah, growing yeah. up with, like more. But that, about, that's where t- they take ownership in it, though. I feel like. But that's like that's why Bucky's story about learning to like you know trying to carry on without Steve being there is more important than Mackie's, which is yeah. more to do with taking on the mantle. Yeah, they both have. Uh, connections to Steve, but they both actually have completely different stories to tell with that relationship. Well, the thing is, like, from... And it's been a few months since we've seen the show, mm. in all fairness. And I do recall in the first couple of episodes, that there's that argument where Winter Soldier is like, why did you give the shield away? Like, how dare you? And it's like, that's cool. But I don't think it went further than that. No. Obviously... You know, Anthony Mackie makes that decision. No, because they're too busy putting quips in there or trying to be better than <laughs> No, that's not even a joke, though. No, it's you're right. You're right. It's like they literally are too busy trying to be smug, like, teenage humor levels. <laughs> and it's not them. Like, I'm not saying it's them personally. No, it's, it's the, the writing. Because like, the Disney producers feel like they need to add this shit. The thing they is, they don't. don't have to be friends. That doesn't mean, like, just because you're not friends doesn't mean you don't dislike. They're, like, the, the whole point of having these big... Avengers groups—they're not all buddies with mm. each other. They, in fact, like it's 
that's what I like. Don't understand why we have to. It's like, and it's probably going to be the same thing with like Love and Thunder. Like we're going to have this. Now we're going to have this between who? It's going to be Star Lord and Thor, aren't it? Be? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's and they're both going to try and be the funniest person, and it's probably going to be. If it wasn't directed by Taika Waititi, you'd yeah, probably yeah. you'd probably be a little concerned, wouldn't you? It, and that's that's the thing. But at yeah. the end of the day, that's going to be conf- that's going to be confined to a two-hour film. This yeah. was three hundred minutes. Yeah, so five hours. Five hours. <laughs> yeah, I don't have too much more to say. That, on that I one. honestly, I did not expect us to have this deep of a conversation of Falcon with okay. the Soldier. I'm actually really proud of that. Moving um, into Loki. Yeah, so this is obviously the most recent. It actually only Watch finished the final episode today. Yeah, uh, we should clarify: season one, season two is confirmed. So mm. so far, this is the only one that seems to be continuing which I can see kind of why they made the decision with the I, ending yeah with the ending the fact that I think this I know it's going to affect the MCU mm. the thing that happens at the end of season one well we you know spoilers we all know that it seems like after all this teasing they teased it in Endgame they teased it in Spider-Man Far From Home and they teased it in WandaVision not, not uh, that was more fan theories but the idea of when is the multiverse going to actually be introduced and in Spider-Man we got kind of teased a bit with the whole Mysterio thing mm. and that was all just BS in one division I thought that was the perfect opportunity for them to introduce well first off I thought Spider-Man was the perfect uh, place to do it with the snap when Thanos mm. snaps he causes a tear in the universe that creates the multiverse I was like that's awesome mm. that's not what happened then in one division oh the hex when the characters go through the hex that's them becoming mutants you introduce Fantastic Four I, that could still be the case. They never well, quite. It is, it is? Yeah. okay. Oh well, that's the whole point. With I think mutants are coming in because there's a couple of things in One Division that indicate mutants yes, are coming. Yes, she, she does seem to have some sort of powers. Because yeah, obviously I'm I'm not sure what her character's name is. She is the granddaughter of the girl from Captain Marvel. That is all I remember about her. Okay, well she's got a name. Really? Oh a, um oh what's her name? It's like Rambo. Her name's Rambo. Oh yeah. So yeah. she gets them, and I think that, that that was the first allusion to mutants, mutations. Yeah. The other one's the Quicksilver cameo. cameo. Oh, yeah. Well, that Truth. ended up kind of being nothing no, be, as well. I, I actually think... But that one's different. That one's way more of a wink to the camera, this is coming, I think. Oh, okay, okay. So, like, I obviously, yeah, it, she, he ended up... That character won't be playing the yeah. MC... Well, we've already had Quicksilver in the MC. It was a good way yeah, of... Yeah. Actually, I think it was a really good way of saying the mutants are coming, but... Um, we're we're still keeping our MCU Quicksilver, and we're going See, but to. That's I feel like that was such a perfect opportunity for them to start breaking all these rules. Which I if they were going to do it, to know. be honest, I don't see any of the Fox mutant people. I, it's a new cast, sure. It has to be. A new it will cast. be a new cast. Yeah, like you wouldn't. I can't see McAvoy and like Fassbender coming back and doing another right. one of those films. Like I really just can't. It would be nice, but. What would you? Where would you go with it? Where do you? Yeah, where and do you, I, I, the only X Men film I've seen is Logan, <laughs> so okay. I'm out of the loop on this one. But well, I, you I, also, yeah. you also kind of couldn't do it because there was obviously a whole mutually exclusive line that would have to be deleted from existence unless it was. Yeah, in, well, that that timeline's already a mess from what I understand. It is. So it is. Um, because they did the same problem that we're going to talk about in the second half of the show. Um, into Loki. Um, this is probably from a plot point of view the most consistently adequate one i think i think there's not a single point in this story i was bored or or disappointed or frustrated i i yeah i agree in terms of it being sort of a flat line more than one division which sort of started the curve down at the very end and then 
Falcon Winter Soldier, it started getting better as it went along, you know, by episode three, four for mm-hmm. me. Um, yeah, this was a bit more of a flat line. And I, and I kind of joked to you on the way over. I was like, ah, oh, kind of a bit of a push for me to get through it. It's probably been a little mean. I still think it's a fine series or a fine show. And I, 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 I thought I liked the intertextuality of it. I like the fact that Loki was looked at more of a, a Stranger Than Fiction-esque this is a character who can't get what he wants. And we're going to look at it from that angle. Mm. The fact that the timeline thing is all just like this bureaucracy laden chamber from like, we t- we said fallout four, didn't we? Yeah. Or fallout. Well, I definitely had the, they went for that sort of vault tech. Yeah. yeah. Um, pseudo fifties, um, vibe yeah. and the music definitely reflected that. That was the, the vibe though. The, the, what was her name? Miss minutes. Miss that minutes, whole yeah. aesthetic was very vault boy esque. Yeah, for um, sure. I liked all of that. Especially the introduction video. When I watched the introduction video, and it was actually, um, the, it, yeah, it was that very Vault Boy aesthetic. It's the same thing that, um, you know, friend of the show, Stephen Clark, did in yeah. his... Um, in his short film. In his short film. Very Fallout-esque animation film to explain kind of what happened. And identifying and, sleepers, yeah. Yeah. So it's I I really like this the that kind of burnt orange 70s, 60s, um, 50s, 60s. Mm. Um, aesthetic and um, I like the show I, I think it, it really explored his character which to be honest I mean it's, it's he is the character that can't die and at least the, the at least this show is actually self-aware they of made it. jokes about it which I was I was like yeah that's funny that's um, whereas WandaVision they kind of just it's so contrived mm. that the the way they bring Vision back in that well, whereas this one a, like that's the thing when, when I said this show was about the intertextual look into Loki as a character who can't win mm-hmm. and who must accept his fate as a smaller pawn in the wider universe. And by the the last episode, you do see that arc where he comes to accept and acknowledge that by considering to actually take... He gets humbled. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing. And it's like, that's part of his arc. Mm-hmm. And with WandaVision, the arc was so clearly she has to let go of Vision and then they don't do that. Precisely. That's why it's a 100%. much bigger problem in that and, show. And, that's why it's, and it's, this is why this one is probably the most cohesive and, and sound. And I think by the end of the... the Obviously, his developed relationship with Sylvie, which is a female variant of, of himself. Mm. Um, we, <laughs> see, I have, which we're going we're gonna, to... I know what you're about to ask. You're going to ask something. There's a couple of... <laughs> uh, there's actually more of a dig at Disney and their... As I like to call it. This was actually a term from Red Letter Media, which mm. is brilliant. It's called Passive Progressive where Disney pretend to be progressive, but actually aren't. Oh, yeah, well, that's like in 99% of their films, isn't it? Yeah, well, exactly. Well, that's, just... the, that's the all-woman hero shot in Endgame. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, but in this example, what I was thinking, because there's a line, I might have heard it wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's a line when they're on the train, where he, he randomly mentions basically saying he's bisexual, that he's, he's like, he's dated guys and girls. There's like one line they sneak in there. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. But then the relationship he forms in the show is with another white woman who he also thinks is himself the entire time. Well, is it is hers? Like they are. Both but that's locals. the reveal at the end, isn't it? Because they kiss, and then she's like, "But I'm not you," and then throws him through the thing. No, no, I think that's that was more. A, that, that, that's not as um, overt. It's not as saying. literal. I would, yeah, not as literal. Okay. It, I think that was very much like. He doesn't. He doesn't want to kill. Okay. Khan. So she's she like, does. "I'm not you." Is in. I'm not. I'm making a different decision than you. Not yeah. literally. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, Fair they enough. are both. Um, okay, that's definitely weird then. <laughs> 
bit, bit, bit Star Wars esque, isn't it? Oh um, god, a little bit. Con- oh shit! Oh no. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. I I think um, I just thought it was funny. It is a bit. <laughs> I like that passive voice. That's that's funny. It's I, look, I think media, this, I, 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 for me it's the most I think it's the most consistently sound. I actually quite enjoyed it. Um uh, performances from like Owen Wilson are really good in it. Um Yeah, I like Owen Wilson. Um yeah. I think Hiddleston you know, really stands and delivers and gets a really good I, I like his arc and I the ending episode is so it's so funny that they do that big spectacle, like the massive spectacle, and really the last episode is mostly just two people sitting in a room talking. Yeah, um, I w- that was a nice change of pace. Fantastic. I think it's great because the other two shows ended with really big climactic <laughs> battles. Yeah. And the whole yeah. point of this was you're at the end. So the the lull... And obviously episode five is very action-heavy, big spectacle. There are yeah, quite yeah. big set pieces in multiple of the episode's endings. But to end on just a conversation with... I believe his name is Khan the Conqueror. Yeah, I was again. reading that. That's who he's meant to be. Yeah. Um, but I like that concept. I mean, like I said earlier, like the actual plot, the outline of this show, I think is excellent. Like Kang, the, sorry. Oh, Kang, okay. God, I'm going to have all the... I can Kang hear and Crota, all, all the nerds from... are coming after you, mate. Yeah. All them D&D players. Kang. <laughs> is it, yeah, okay. <laughs> that <laughs> took, was a dig of That me. took you a second. <laughs> um, yeah, Kang the, Kang the Conqueror, who obviously is the best, <laughs> the nicest version of himself. Um, oh, I see. Okay, I think that's the point of because that's the warning he gives us. If you kill me, and the timeline, well, there, there's a singular timeline out. in which now there is the branch of the timeline in which there will be multiverses, basically. Yeah. Whereas we only had one universe that was controlled, and now, say, Lovey, we've got this. Yeah. So basically, everyone's going to be able to cross into each other's lanes. It also means death is for any of these characters <laughs> is kind of pointless. Pointless. It re- it really is. Yeah, I mean, I like this. There are there are plays where they play on humor. Like I like, I love the episode five when all the Lokis are just backstabbing each other. And yeah, that's and, fun. And and it's because it basically just shows how two dimensional his thinking has been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For his entire life, when he's just absolutely frustrated by the fact that they're all prone to just Fail. stabbing <laughs> each other in the back and killing each other. And that uh, was a great line when um. He's like, oh, what are you in? Is it the kid? He's like, I killed four. And he's like, well, damn. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually a good line. Yeah, and it's and I, I think that that's, that stuff's really good. And I do think his relationship with Sylvie is actually a really, really interesting. And mm. I like that they, they do, but they are self-aware about it. Like Owen Wilson goes like, of course, the one person you develop feelings for is really just another version of you. Like, is that not that he says it's the most narcissistic Yeah, thing? no, he says that it's weird that they... Because I generally thought that was the big reveal at the end and she's not a Loki. So I was like, okay, well, I guess they kind of get away with the sort of no. incestualness of it all. But, but is, okay, well, then that's where the, that's where the theology is. is, 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 that, is <laughs> no, I get because you're right. That I mean, that's the point. Is it, It's such an intertextual look into Loki's role in the MCU. And, yeah, it does extend to that. So it's, I totally get it. It's a little, it's a little messed up, but... Oh, it's it is strange, it is. but who knows yeah. nowadays. I like that show. I like that it, it will seamlessly lead into the films, which the first one, I think, is what, Shang-Chi? Yeah, I don't know if that's... I, I think the Doctor Strange one's probably the next Doctor one. Strange. That, that tie. Oh, no, no, no. Spider-Man comes out... Apparently still comes out this year. The new Spider-Man. That's meant to have all of the Spider-Man. Yeah, so... I, yeah. So I've, that I've, probably ties into this. Mm, okay. It has to! Yanked. What? Like, it has to! 
Yeah, it was <laughs> it was a good ending. Did you get why Owen Wilson and stuff didn't know who he was? Oh, well, he's in a different timeline yeah. now. Yeah, that 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 was yeah made sense yeah. to me. Didn't I had to have someone explain it to me? Oh, so. really? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was very confused by the ending. I was like, what is going on? Um. Well, it's funny because I saw articles been explaining the ending. I'm like, oh, I guess I would like to know more about him, that new timeline. And I looked and they were just like, yeah, he's in a new timeline. I was like, well, I knew that. <laughs> yeah, look, like I said, I I like the overall plot of it. I actually like the detective side of Loki in the second episode, how he sort of becomes a part of the, the TVA mm. a little bit. But again, like the banter stuff bothered me. And I guess we're talking about this in such a positive light. So I guess it didn't bother me as much. But, like, I wrote examples down. Like, I mean, the, the point when, when they're on the train, he's like, oh, can I... I don't like sitting backwards on the train. And she's like, no. And he's like, okay. And he just sits down anyway. Like, stuff like that. It's like, really? Are these meant to be character mm. moments? Stuff like that. Or when he's, like, surprised. When he's like, well, the only way we don't ex- die in this melancholia planet With- is to go on that ship. She's like, okay, let's go on that ship. Yeah, and he's like, wow, you listen to me? It's like, shut. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. That's the Marvel thing. I get it. There is, there is, not I'm away. not saying that this show is not absent of petty humor. I think it does delivery well. My one, my, the saving grace is predominantly a lot of the um, comedic delivery is delivered by Loki and, and who has actually been a character that has been consistently quite humorous through. He hasn't changed Yeah, like, too I much. can buy it more. Even in his him, earlier yeah. ones, there was still the, I mean, you like look at Thor and you look at the Avengers, yeah, he's still probably more serious than what he is now, but... He definitely was one of those characters that had that quippiness to him, particularly um, in when you see in Avengers. Like he, he yeah. goes between it's it's in his character. So when you have, canonically, this is right after the Avengers. Yes, and so yeah. when you and at the end of the day, he predominantly talks to people that are also just other variants of him. So <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that they're they're, they're that whiny pettiness. It can be yeah. a little grating, and it's not funny sometimes. And I think that's the what you're pointing at is, yeah. is it's not annoying. Because it's not true to the character, like it's not because it's not funny. It's just not funny, and and, and that's my why I said yeah, with Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's like those characters were never naturally mm. super funny characters. So the fact that they become more quippy actually feels more artificial yeah, and forced. Okay, because okay. their characters were quite serious. Yeah, particularly Winter, particularly Winter Soldier. Like the fact that he makes as many quips as he does is 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 baffling at times. Yeah, um, the, literally the only one I can remember that I was like, oh, okay is they're talking about The Hobbit. And like, wow, you read The Hobbit? And he's like, well, yeah, it came out when I was born, basically. Yeah. You've, and he's like, oh, yeah, he's old. Like, if it, and, But you're right. Like, the majority of them don't really land yeah, in well, the same you actually, way. Yeah, well, you look at um, Chris Evans' as mm. Captain America, you know, Steve Rogers. He was funny, but he was funny because he kind of was a man out... He was a man at a time sort of yeah. humor. Like, his humor came from the fact that he, I'm, I'm out of touch with... Yeah, I understood stuff. that reference. Yeah. So it's... Like his stuff, yeah. yeah, is is more funny because of yeah, he, he's fish out of waterness, and that's sort of where Thor got away with some of his f- earlier funny stuff because he was a fish out of water. But they took that. I just, yeah, just, there are so many Dutch tilts. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can't can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, God, you, you think your head's crooked. I'm, I'm still gonna, <laughs> I'm still gonna make that point. I feel like when Thor's making jokes, I don't care who's directing him, he's a, he turns into a different character. I'm not going to change my stance That's on fair. that. That's fair. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. Like, That's pretty much all I have to say about Loki. Yeah, I think what ultimately it was Kang like Kang guy. You think uh, Kang the Conqueror? Is... Well, he's dead now. It's all these evil versions of himself now that yeah. are out in the world. You think that's you happy with sort of his uh, demeanor? I guess because he's uh, meant to. I mean, this he guy... could have done with less jumping on the table like a 
like a bloody um. <laughs> I was gonna say it was a bit of a court gesture. gesture yeah, yeah. Like. He's like jumping around, be like, I'm gonna explain to you at the end of time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, just, dude, it relax. was very strange. Like <laughs> I was like, I, I get it, he's the most casual, he's the most calm, he's probably the most nice. He probably has to do that to go from going insane, being alone at the end of time. Yeah. I guess you could argue that, but I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting though to go from like such a force-looking guy in Thanos to this kind of guy who's just basically—I mean, technically—yeah, he—he is the uber uber boss, right? The like, uber boss, yeah. I don't know where this, but it basically means death is not like. There's no reason why Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow can't come back. It—it's it, getting to the point where death is as consequential in this as it is in Rick and Morty, which is it isn't. Yeah. I mean, one of the most recent, and we're not really talking about season five, but one of the most recent episodes, literally millions of Ricks and Mortys and Summers and Jerry's and, and um, what's their mum's name Beths. again? Beth's die in one episode. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. We're getting to that level of, con- no, I shouldn't say continuity because they're still trying with the continuity. Everything's sort of in a linear so, path. But I'm going to yeah. throw this to you Okay, um, now that we're just before we move into our film of the week. Yeah. Well, there's um, a couple of things I want to quickly okay, play. Okay, cool. Yeah, sure. But um, before then, but yeah, yeah go Okay, on. cool. Go on. Um, I just want to like, at this point now, though, we're mm. not, these films are not for the people that like comic books, right? Like, they're not. They're, they're mass produced at this point. Like, when death is literally taken out of, because of the events of this film, or this show, Death is, yeah, getting to that point, like you said, that Rick and Morty, it just doesn't exist, really. Any, basically, if a character dies, it just means that they're taking a break from the franchise for a couple of years and then we'll bring them back. <laughs> Maybe, possibly. Like, not even that. <laughs> like, seriously, after the, you know, we, when we move into the Black Widow conversation, how many years before we see her in another film? Just coming back in this multiverse. Well, she literally died in 2019 and it was meant to have her own film a year later. Yeah. And it's like, I know that you're technically going backwards in the timeline, but timeline doesn't really matter anymore because it's so sporadic. Yeah, and then most people think because of this multiverse thing, we're going to see Chris Evans come back as an evil Steve Rogers. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a that's a high prediction. Like, that like, he's going to be Captain... I think they call it Captain Hydra. Oh, yeah. Like That's a really recent thing, though, in the comics. Yeah, well, they... Th- I remember they, that really when that became and a to thing. be honest, he, he probably would be open to that because I think he said he he doesn't want to play that version of Captain America anymore. I think that's what mm. he said. So... Well, this is the interesting thing is I remember reading very recently that Marvel and Disney are actually easing up on the contracts. Like the nine deal contracts. Like Samuel Jackson and Chris Evans and all these guys who are like, you have to do these eight movies and then you're out. It's interesting to hear they're not doing that so much anymore. It's going to be more like a couple of film contracts, or they're putting less gambles on this stuff. Which well, I think they know that they're starting to like. I mean, it goes back to the the Star Wars model. As soon as these things stop making money, they'll yeah. stop them altogether. Which is why, um, you know, it, it's so interesting. You know, not to go too much into the Black Widow screening. Why they now play this phase phase four trailer at the start of the, the right yeah the I'll talk a little probably Wait, a little yeah, bit more you about gotta, it in the second you just got to keep everything moving you keep everything moving like yeah. the, there's the confidence that they were they were roll they were saying they're going to roll out films till twenty was it twenty twenty three by the end of that trailer I think it was yeah but 20- they've they've always done that I mean we knew about Infinity War Part Two as in Endgame in like twenty fourteen like we've always they've yeah. always been ahead of the game in terms of. Because what they do is, as a company, 
they have to buy out the weekend slots in theaters and then they decide what movies they actually make and come out on those mm. slots so they're like well we, we have to put out eight films in the next three years so let's figure what those are and then they do the board meetings and they do the big announcements and that's how it goes so uh, this isn't any different from what they've always done but to that point Endgame was meant to be the big finale so and yet we're still going they've still got this confidence to announce 10 films yeah in but like you said maybe the fact that they're not doing these uh, 10 movie deal with actors is because they think that they might be starting to run a little bit out of juice and as soon as they don't make a return on one of these films that's probably going to be the kibosh they'll probably yeah well my guess is that if you want Chris Evans to come back you can't time for another eight movies. You just can't do that. Because that, True. as much... I'm going to talk in the next film about why... When we talk about Black Widow, why I think it's better for actors to land roles in MCU than for directors to land roles in MCU. And I'll get into why soon, but I think that's the one thing an actor dreads is having an eight-deal contract on a Marvel film. Because that just... You, you can't... I mean, it's like the whole AFL thing. You can't be caught doing anything during that time if you're under the Disney I mean Chris Evans was essentially a hermit once he was out of that deal he could do Knives Out and play evil characters and I guess mm. drink in public and I'm I'm not saying specific examples but I'm saying like you don't want to be tied to that so I think Disney might be learning okay we need to go easy on some of these actors and do smaller contracts yeah well, I also think it wasn't a sure thing if, um, back especially when you got big names like Captain America and, mm. and Iron Man and stuff and you really they were I mean in they were the they were, those sort of contracts were the tools they needed to build this universe that has now become, you know, well it's indented in human history and culture now. Mm. It's this is a cultural revolution from two thousand. It's Mark and um, th- that those sort of deals were sort of a necessary evil and sacrifice to achieve that. Whereas now, if you keep them to one or two con, you know, two movie deals, like. That you don't have to, they don't have to stick around as long, and yeah. and if the movie's a flop, then they just scrap that idea and then probably try something else. Or, I mean, what we've found from these shows is they can create characters, they can pull obscure characters from films that you forgot about. They can they push. can make money from any character they want. Yeah, I think since Guardians, and they've been constantly proved right even after that. Since Guardians are like, we can do whatever the hell we want, and People will see it, exactly. and people generally like it. Doesn't matter yeah. the quality. So, what else would you like to add, buddy? Yeah. So, I saw there's two things I, I want to mention. This other thing I saw, which is related to the MCU, you might have saw I gave it one star on Letterboxd. <laughs> I saw the good, the Bart, and the Loki, which is the the uh, the crisscross mm-hmm. between Loki, this show, of course, and the Simpsons, uh, which. You know, when you see Wanda promoting Hyundai's on YouTube and the Falcons doing Xbox commercials, I shouldn't be so surprised to see this. they're doing this sort of ad product placement stuff and these highly unimaginative crossovers. But lo and behold, here we go. There's a six minute. It's really three minutes because Disney Plus has have ridiculously long credits. But it's a three minute short where The Simpsons stops being what it used to be great for, which was making fun of pop culture and you know, being a satirical depiction of America. Now it just sucks ass. Or as the logline says, it is the, what is it? Um, I thought I wrote it down. But it was basically like, this is the Simpsons, you know, the big ode to the to the, the legacy of the MCU. And it's like, why in the God's name did you have to do that? Why does the Simpsons owe 
this three minute ode to the legacy of the MCU because Disney owns both companies I, I just needed to mention it because it it kills me inside it was one of the worst things I've ever seen <laughs> now before we move into our film of the week I want to play a little game with you Zeke okay now this might be a little unfair because I had a bit more time to think about this and it's harder than it sounds mm-hmm. but I'm going to give you a minute to do this of course Stanley passed away a few years ago his yes. last cameo was in Endgame and I want to play a little game between the four properties we're talking about today one division, Falcon, Loki, uh, Black Widow. Sure. Where would you put the Stanley cameos if he was still with us? Oh, okay. Well, one division I think would be pretty easy. Okay. You would probably do if he was still alive. Um, you would yeah. probably try and squeeze him into every episode. Oh, okay. Because um, that could be fun, but you make it really, probably really difficult. Interesting. To, to see him in them. Like, not as... Obviously, Stan Lee cameos, since he did them, were always very overt. Yeah, like he's got, always got a speaking role. and No, I would make them subtle. Like, it's like, find yeah, yeah. him in this episode, find him in that episode. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Maybe just in the background. Like, enough so he's very clearly visible, but okay. not in a speaking role. And then maybe in some of them, you'd be like... That'd be really fun, I think. Like, a little Stan Lee Easter egg hunt through the decades. Right. See, I, I would probably prefer to keep it to one. Like, you have to figure out which episode he's in. But okay. my, mine would still be overt. Like, he would have a speaking role. My WandaVision pick was when they do the the magician show or the magic show in episode two. Okay. Um, and he's, like, in the crowd or maybe he's, like, he's on stage doing a thing before Wanda and Vision show yeah. up. Um, so that's my pick. What about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I have a good one for this one. <laughs> I would really like would to see Would you do the same thing? I th- would I, is in the nightclub? I wrote the nightclub as well. Yeah, he's, he's the DJ like, when oh, Zemo's dancing. Oh, really? I would make him like a pimp or something like that. Oh, like, nice. <laughs> like, like a real like Hugh Hefner esque kind of guy. <laughs> well, that was that uh, was an Iron Man. He was basically Hugh Hefner. He's at one of the parties. Okay, I think your DJ one might be better. Yeah, um, I like unless I he danced DJ. with Zemo at some point. <laughs> that would be pretty amazing. That'd be funny. Cool. All right, what about Loki? I did a pretty generic one for this one. If you could think of something more specific, maybe oh, one, of, maybe one of the Loki variants in the Void. Oh, okay, that's clever. Like, because you had Richard E. Grant yeah. as like the older Loki, so you could have him instead as in a smaller, well, like part. a grandpa. Well, I mean, he could be the grandpa Loki, yeah, like yeah, the real like on death's door Loki. Like, right. <laughs> oh, that's really rude. Sorry, <laughs> <Make my pardon. laughs> Oh no, um, I had um that he was sort of because I thought you could almost play a bit with like obviously the TVA, like they're the 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 heads there's so many meta jokes about the writers like the the time lords or whatever they're called being like the mm. writers of the MCU I thought it'd be cool to put him at like a very minimal desk job or maybe like a janitor at the TVA someone yeah, who, who yeah. works there but has yeah. l- little as possible power <laughs> yeah I mean also can we just say Richard E Grant's performance in Loki great episode oh he's fun I love his voice I love his voice too. yeah um, all right and I- finally in Black Widow. Where would you... He'd probably be in the prison, wouldn't he? I, God damn it. Like I said he's in the prison too. He Probably next to, next to like a friend of um, the Red Machine. What's his right. name? Uh, Red Guardian. Red Guardian. I actually wrote that he arm wrestles Red Guardian. Oh. I, that's probably a bit much. We probably, you probably would let him like down easy though. Like probably... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think in, the, in that scene for sure. I mean, that's pretty... I think that's probably the best scene to put him in yeah yeah i was um, trying yeah i couldn't really think of anything else because you want to put him in like a place that's 
more comedic and light. Yeah, like fun, but not like you don't want to put him at the end. Like when all the Black Widows come at God, the end, he's just that, he's we? just there. <laughs> he's one of the I Black Widows. This is a halfway point of this show. I know. We're over an hour in, and oh we're only God. now talking about the film of the week, which uh, it's time to move yeah. into our film of the week. But Jake, <laughs> what are we watching? Let's check on the show. We're watching Black Widow. You don't know everything about me. I've lived a lot of lives before I was an Avenger. Before I got this family, I made mistakes choosing between what the world wants you to be. Natasha Romanov, aka Black Widow, confronts darker parts of her ledger when a dangerous conspiracy with ties to her past arises. Oh no. <laughs> oh no, I hope, she, I hope she's not hurt. <laughs> well, I mean, at least this film didn't kill her. <laughs> oh man, so this is the 24th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. First one we've seen in theaters in over two years, so... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Just since Spider-Man Far from episode 24. Wow. That's, that was our last MCU film we did. Over 100 episodes ago. Yeah. That is kind of crazy. Is that true? Oh, yeah, boy. True. Jakey, wow. Jake, Jake, Jake. I think we're going to have a little debate on this show because I <laughs> I think we both were at least up to seldom on this. Well, at least you were up to seldom. Well, we yeah, we both watched this nearly two weeks ago now. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. Um, in the theater. And yeah, I think it, it wasn't really a debate so much as it was you're not really liking certain aspects of the film and me trying to defend them, kind of. Mm-hmm. I walked out of this being like, well, I had fun. That was sort of my extension. <laughs> I had I, there's, fun. there's a lot that's just kind of a shame. It, I'm not vitriolically angry about it necessarily, but, yeah, I mean, we talked about it. The, the fact that this should have come out at least four years ago, you think it should have come out even earlier. I think mm. they don't really do anything to tell the story with with the context that we know that she obviously dies in the events of Endgame. So the film doesn't really pretend to care about that knowledge. It just sort of mm. plays out as if it did come out in 2017. It did come out after Civil War. Uh, which is funny because I have a friend I was telling you at work, Steph, who's only just started watching the MCU for the first time ever. And she actually started one bedridden day sick... She's like, I'm going to watch all four Avengers films. And by the time she got to Infinity War, she's like, I'm sensing some tension between these characters. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just laughed. I was like, yeah, you got to watch the others too. <laughs> I am. Um... But she just finished Civil War and I said, stop what you're doing and watch this film now because you're probably going to get more out of it now than yeah. if you watch it after the other 23 films. Well said. Um... Um, I, I thought it was totally fine. A lot of missed opportunities. What did you think, Zeke? <laughs> I um, best I can give my 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 immediate takeaway is you have four because obviously there's a quartet in the vein of 2020 yep. films because this technically was a 2020 yeah, that's true. Uh, planned release um, and this has a quartet of David Harbour was it David Harbour Rachel Vice Florence Pugh uh, and obviously Scarlett Johansson. You have three Oscar-nominated actors there, I'm pretty sure, and one. I think, I think two Ed. nominated, one winner. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um, 
that would be vice, would it, for the favourite? I think so. Well, uh, well Pugh and Johansson, I hate saying their surnames only, they, well, they were, of course, nominated in the same year, same category. There you go. Um, so, yeah. Um, and obviously, Harbour is for Emmy. Emmy nominated at the very least. I think course, he, might, yeah. he might have won. Stranger Things. Um, for Stranger Things. Um, and I really like him. Um, mm. I like all four of these um, actors. And, and I think they make the best of, honestly, a contrived, frustrating, <laughs> and at times just cringeworthy script. Um, this is not on the tier of... of Captain Marvel and Thor 2 or Dark World um, right. I think those two films are still below this on the ranking but this sits yeah this has got to sit 20 was that 22nd then out of 24 for me this yeah, is okay. this is a frustrating film at the best of times and just laughably contrived and just at the worst and I think it's four actors polishing uh, polishing a poo <laughs> <laughs> Could even bring out turd in that one. Turd, <laughs> polishing just, a turd. Oh, did you actually forget? Polishing a turd. I thought you were just being polite. No, I didn't want to swear. <laughs> I said the other one, the S word. Oh, no, okay. Um, when you always say polishing a turd. You're polishing a turd. Yeah. Um, I, and I, okay. that is very much what this, <laughs> this film is. It's unnecessary. Its timing is all off. Like, oh. you think it belongs after the Civil War release, which is an apt thing. Yeah, I think if we restruct... Does, yeah. um, I think if we restructured the film, so obviously not leaving it as what it is right now, if mm. we restructured it more appropriately, this film should have come out in 2013 or 2014. Mm. Um, maybe even a, like just before... Honestly, it should have been just before The Avengers came out, to be honest. Um, okay. In which... Well, to be honest, the reason that Clint and Black Widow get into the Avengers is because they assassinate a person that is then killed in this film. Um, <laughs> and that was, you know, that's called the whole point of this plot, but it would have just made more sense to just not do the contrived, he wasn't dead the whole time thing, and just bring it back to there. But of course, at that point, they're building their brand, and, and to be honest, Disney in the was it passive progressive way <laughs> yeah. didn't really value her back then in fact they no. incredibly sexualized her up until civil war really um oh well, winter soldier i think she's oh handled, winter soldier yeah, really that well. one's, I forget but that. that's the russos yeah that's, that's the, the first time she is not treated like a sexualized object and honestly mm. at times a damsel particularly in the whedon films um and in even in iron man 2 which i think was favreau's yeah, well, that that was her intro, and I think this is the this is a real muddy thing because it becomes a whole thing of well, how much of it is to her character, how much of it is beyond her control. Because I think, I mean, we all know that Josh Whedon is kind of just a shithead at this yep. point. <laughs> He's not a very nice person, but um, and then even you're right, and those, even and, in, and honestly, I, you can see it because it's like I watched Avengers not too long ago. Yeah, um, that film can be at times really tough to get through because of you you see how far particularly the Russos took her character in a positive direction. Yeah. And she really is just completely objectified in in that film and it's 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 a little bit it's not I was it's wrong to say complete objectification. It was subtle objectification really. Yeah. It was it was enough it, well, Age of Ultron was like really bad. The whole yeah. like oh I have Mark Ruffalo you know, landing on me and then now she's in a cage at the end of the film and yeah. 
There was a lot going on there. And people knew it at the time. They were like, this is ridiculous, like, how much she's being just thrown to the side of yep. the... Yeah, and I and you're right. I think the Russos did a much better justice. So by the time that she died in Endgame, you cared. You're like, because she's in tons of. Mm. I still, think, I'm still of that mind. I think that scene is incredibly dumb. Um, her death. Scene. Yeah, the, but it's and, dumb for mutually. It's not just her. It's the whole. Well, it's just like the beat for beat. I'm gonna jump in front of you. No, you jump. Explosion. Ah, well, fall it's, down. It's, it's mostly it's the silly. fact that they both are willing to just kill themselves, and it's like, why are we making a contest out of? who wants to die who wants to be more a hero yeah like, it, uh, that just that that part of it the first time when they're literally jumping at each other or or trying yeah. to shoot each other to then have someone else die instead like that that's just a really awkward moment <laughs> in it's, all honesty it's silly because but like, the, the the power in that scene should have come from the fact that one of them does have to die and that's actually really sad and deciding that should have been more of a, a vocal battle than a than something yeah. that, that well, was because it turned into a really long-winded awkward scene of them both like you said jumping on top of each other and pulling one back well and, it's like it's just another excuse for a few more explosions like why do you need they literally did that scene a year earlier with gamora and it was, was a way better more scene powerful scene yeah because he just grabs her and chucks her but you still see the emotion on his face because he doesn't want to be doing what he's doing exactly and, I mean, look, this is like a whole different argument. This has nothing to do with Black Widow other than just the way she died, which I still think is, like, d- just that idea of it and, and the fact that she had found her family in the Avengers and sacrificed herself for the greater good. I think that's all well and great. I do. But then it, it, I actually do think that that scene ties into this film because... Yeah, yeah. Because she does have stuff to lose. And at that point in time... Yeah, we, uh, this and this is why this film suffers from its really awkward placement so far after literally the literal end game it's like yeah it, it because she did have stuff to lose at that point clint clint had lost all of his family yeah she didn't or we don't know we assume, i guess we go under the assumption they all got blipped out of existence yeah and like, we never learned that we never learned whether they got blipped or not because it's a retcon because this film was trying to save face for something that should have happened Ten years ago, at the at the you know at the minimum, yeah, it's like, and it's really that's what's really frustrating to me because this really just does feel like greed at this point. You had your opportunity, you blew it. Make it up for it with other heroes. Florence Pugh's character could be, you know, is going to probably be quite an interesting character to explore. But the fact of the matter is, we didn't need a Black Widow film to introduce that character. And why? And and more more importantly, why? Now are we only finding out she has a sister and she had, you know, at least they're not her actual parents. They're adopted parents. So it's like, to yeah, me, well, it's... it's the, the whole family is a very dysfunctional. They all have different Incredibles surnames, you know. basically. Well, I, was, I did the joke of the Romanovs versus the machines. That, that was my little letterbox joke, which I'm going to be honest, didn't get as many likes as I thought it would. So screw you, letterbox fans, <laughs> but... Um, no, I thought that, yeah, in The Incredibles, I thought it was a very comparable yeah, but, but family I, dynamic. I, I think it's just they have to rush it so much. And and to be honest, we don't really get to explore too much of their family life beforehand. And they make up, they also make up and band together seemingly off screen in this film too. Like multiple characters band together off screen and then we have a flashback of them discussing it. We don't really know why these characters want to take down. Like we get red guardians motives. We don't really get why, you know, Rachel Vice's character wants to take down um, this guy who had 
been working for her you know she'd been working for for so long did she feel regret we don't really know because there wasn't they didn't have that much time to focus like have that mitchell's family dynamic of dysfunctionality to have that incredibles family dynamic of dysfunctionality we see we see the incredibles in their domestic life we we actually spend a lot of time there exploring that before we really dive into them all banding together at the end that's what makes that story so effective and good yeah well i see it's funny because i'm I'm kind of on the other end where I, all they needed to establish in the op- the opening scene is you know 20 i think 21 years earlier where we see them where you know the sisters are maybe like 12 and 7 respectively mm-hmm. maybe and then you have the parents and i think that scene really is just there to establish there is some sort of normalcy i don't think we need like all of these intricate little um payoffs or, or plants and payoffs i mean there, i think there are a couple like the song they listen to on the radio mm-hmm. and that comes back um but i think the only the purpose of that scene it all leads into that scene they have together at the like that dinner table. It's more of a lunch reunion where they're all re- reunited for the first time in I think twenty one years, mm-hmm. and I love that scene so much. Um, not only because it has some confidence to just slow down for a minute, but I think that's really the dissection there of of yeah, they're a family unit, but it's so disjointed and so cold that there isn't a lot of that there. I mean, that's the conversation they have when Florence Pugh is like, you know, I thought it was real because it wasn't real. And I think that's why you can't have it. We're making jokes about the Mitchells and the Machines or the Incredibles, but it's like this isn't a real family like that family. But there's still an exploration of it that, frankly, if it didn't have this, then this film would have nothing to me. And it, I mean, by the sounds of it, it looks like it didn't even work for you either. The family dynamic, right? Not, yeah. right? Not. Unfortunately, I, I just, I don't understand. They get together at the end, and and th- it just feels so rushed because they're trying to get to that final big boss battle, that really big... I don't think there's a single part of this film that does better than all of its predecessors or does anything unique Mm. to its predecessors. We talked about in the first part of the show, we talked about three distinct shows from one another. One of them experimented with the formula. Mm. I think one of them expanded the lore and then one of them was probably more traditional. Yeah. And both this is of more us... in line with that. This is like a your traditional spy thriller, if you had to pick like a genre of MCU yeah. that it is. Yeah. And I think that, and you know, I was about to say, the, the two that we liked the more were the two that were either expanding the law, yeah. like in an in-depth and interesting way, and actually really exploring a character, mm. and then the one that was more experimental. The and we both either felt seldom or very average about the one that held the more traditional line. And this one is just another one of those films. It's just another blah fest of the exact same sort of set pieces that we've seen in other films with the same sort of contrived over the top bad guy who inexplainably <laughs> Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> he does. He pretty much does take that archetype, doesn't he? Um, yeah. Well, it's a very me too post me too movement sort of, seen that and, whole, that and some of the parts of, of the lore and and stuff that to me is actually more interesting is is actually completely put to the wayside because they don't really explore the black widow training they glaze over it because they just jump like straight the to the present stuff right? they don't they don't actually we don't actually explore what made natasha natasha we we just jump straight back into the the civil war breakup which and and this very contrived way of making florence Pugh's character normal because she just basically lucks out with that um, free will breaker um, 
toxin or in the first her opening scene. Oh, right, right, right. Obviously, we find out that all of the widows are mind controlled, mm. and that allows Florence Pugh's character to just kill people at, at a whim up until that point in her life, until she kind of honestly she does just lucks out on on getting that toxin. Suddenly, mm. she's completely normal and able to crack jokes and stuff like that, which. I just think that, that, like, to get all the characters that we needed in the right places, it was it was such a mess. I mean, the fact that the Red Guardian, his intro scene, is basically talking about why he's been locked away for for twenty years because mm. for some reason after that mission he got put in a prison for no explainable reason. We never get given a reason later in the film. He just right. was in the prison because we needed a prison break set piece scene with an avalanche. Of course, we needed an avalanche. Like <laughs> the the. That's that scene is just a mess. Uh, ratchet it up. <laughs> um, it has timing issues too. That scene, like the avalanche is getting really close, and it just it disappears for a good two minutes, so we can have some banter and stuff, and right, then it okay. comes back right at the convenient time with any. It's just really, really inconsistent with yeah. its tones, and it just doesn't know what it wants to be, and it really feels like we're all we're doing with this film is we're basically doing an audition so we can have David Harbour in a couple of future things and we can have Florence Pugh in our next generation. Um, yeah, well, it seems very obvious she's going to be in the new uh, Hawkeye show based yeah. on the post credit scene. Yeah. It, it really it really did just feel like a kind of a transitional stepping stone that offered nothing of substance and really d- actually discredited the character. It was, you know, you know, a central character in my opinion. Well, it's funny you mention that because, you know, this whole thing, the whole reason we're arguing this should have come out earlier, should have come out earlier, should have come out earlier, is because Scarlett Johansson needed needed her solo film. She deserved it, you know, with her arc throughout these films. And what I find so funny is, like, after all of this time, you finally watch the film come out 2021. So, yeah, 11 years after, well over 11 years after her first appearance. And the film is, frankly, not even really about her. You have... The side stuff, you mm-hmm. know, the post-Me Too movement were falling, you know, the mind-controlling of the women. There's a line that I did not catch in the theatre that someone else online pointed out. I was like, are you kidding me? That's a real line in the movie, which we'll get to later um, in regards to our Harvey Weinstein lookalike. Dreg- Dregnov or whatever his name is. Um, I got Oh, Dregnov, whatever it's, his name is. There's very clear allegories there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, it's very, very clear. And, the, yeah, I'll get to the line in the middle, what he said, which is... If I if I even recognized that line in my head when I was watching it, I probably would have pissed myself laughing. Um, would have been right there with you, throwing my arms in the air in the cinema. But what I'm saying is with all of those elements in the film and then the angle of trying to get Florence Pugh in the limelight, and she, she was clearly manufactured to be the scene stealer. And when everyone walked out of this film, oh my God, Florence Pugh is amazing. Yeah, she's a brilliant actress. She's the love of my life, Zeke. You know this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But... She You're was hoping clearly, one of these days she'll, she'll uh, listen. Yeah, maybe she listened to Little Women's one day. One, maybe, uh, we never did a Little Women's podcast. No, oh, well, gonna yeah. make up for. We have the only other Florence Pugh we've done on the show. Fighting for my family. It's fighting for my family. <laughs> 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 Which I don't know if anyone's seen her in that movie. That's Episode so funny. We got to do Midsummer. Um, <laughs> But what's funny is like between those things and trying to put her in the limelight, which is obviously a construction, you're right, they're trying to boost her into the next franchise. Mm-hmm. You watch the film and that and the family dynamic, which is what they're focusing on. You're like, I forgot this is meant to be Scarlett Johansson's film. Yeah. This is not the ode to the character because not only all anything, of those elements are If focus, anything, that's just proving my point more here. This is how little they actually cared about this character. 
and it's, it's this such a and shame. to you know not to bring it back because it's now going to become my new favorite thing. This is passive progressiveness, isn't it? <laughs> Put this in your brain, and tonight. it's the best way of describing it. It's look, we're finally red letter media. You, yeah, we're giving you that. We're giving you that film. Yeah, we're doing it eleven, probably about ten years too late. And then on top of that, well, not ten years. Let's not be dramatic. It probably was about eight years too late, but. It's about eight years too late, and let's be real—you're not even the main, like the real. The, like she's said, not, not the star of her own film. Yeah, she's not. And I was thinking that while watching the movie, it wasn't like I well, thought about it after. It was like I was what when she came on screen in the final battle because they're obviously cutting between all the different characters. What's her, what's, my Every opinion, time she was on screen, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is her film." What's her <laughs> What's her character arc? Like, what's her journey in this film? She reunites with her family, I guess. <laughs> she doesn't learn anything. We shouldn't, shouldn't fundamentally change. In other films, she fundamentally changed. Even the the, the smaller scenes she had, and the, you know, she probably had more character. She had more character development in Winter Soldier than she did in this yeah. film. She was a bigger star in Winter Soldier than her own film. Yeah, and this is the thing. I think I think what they might have been trying to do, which is such a pointless arc, because we were never in question of it. It's also answered in other films, because of course this takes place between Civil War and, and Infinity War. The last one of the last lines she says is, "Oh, if our family can reunite, I'm butchering the line, but maybe there's hope for the Avengers after all." Now the family, yeah. And it's like, is that was that the arc? Did she not have hope in the Avengers getting back together? I don't really remember that being the case. I guess I got to rewatch not Civil really. War, but it uh, literally that's the a end weak of arc. Civil War is like. Like, that's when people made the joke. It was more like a civil spat. Because at the end, it's like that phone call where it's like, yeah, I know we're not... It's like the, when, you, yeah. like, we're not like when you're fighting... Yeah, when you're fighting with your girlfriend, <laughs> you're just like, hey, babe, I, I know we're not talking right now, but I just really miss you and just want to know that I love you and care about you. That's literally the end of Civil War. Zeke so, literally grabbed his phone to do that. I did. <laughs> for an audio-only podcast. I did. I did. And I'm proud of it. Um, oh, God. So, I really don't have... I really think this was just a platform to set up two new characters predominantly. I think it's mostly about Red Guardian and, and obviously Florence Pugh's character, which yeah. I don't know what her superhero name is. Um, Sorry, who's, who's? What's Florence Pugh's superhero they're name? They're just calling her Black Widow as well because they're all Black Widows. So, okay. like, like the Falcon is now Captain America. So the Millennial so, Black Black Widow. <laughs> the uh, the Lena is now Black Widow. That's kind of how they, they're dealing sure. with this whole thing. All right. Um, yeah. Then cool, that makes life easy. Then yeah, um, <laughs> I have to remember a new name. So they've introduced they introduced two they introduced two new characters, and they're going to bridge into the Hawkeye show, just as Loki was bridging into the the multi- multiverse madness or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. and and obviously one division too. So they're really all just plat. Uh, isn't that just funny? They're all most of these shows are literally just platforms for the next thing and the yeah. next thing and the next thing, and it's just never ending and this film is just pointless like this film isn't it's not it's not like it trust me it's not on the captain marvel level of of stale popcorn but (laughs) it's it's not it's not far off and if if it wasn't for literally the quartet of some of the most talented people going around in the industry right now this film would be nigh unwatchable Mm. at times and i think that that's just true because they just have to they rely so much on on little spaces and pockets in time, much like we were talking about criticizing the the new X Men films, who also do this. Mm. Um, focus on a minute pocket of time with a very linear character, a non-existent character arc, and 
basically just a platform to get new characters into the other show without having to explain their backstory on that show, basically. Like, because we don't need to now. We don't need to know Florence Pugh's backstory because you can watch this film and watch her, like you said, steal every scene. She actually does become, she gets most of the delivery. The plot, it's, it's like one of these things. When she, when, as soon as the toxin got released into Florence Pugh's character, it really does become her movie. Why? Because she's the one whose journey is enabled. She's actually mm. now, her character arc is that fish out of water stuff she had not had the family the fact to her she has the low points in films in in terms of a hero journey she actually undergoes a hero journey it's not the best yeah. one but she does go through a journey yeah because her the low point the low... is the the scene when they reunite and she gets upset she gets upset and then she... she's the one that gets more gratification from the family reuniting that part of her childhood is real and that she can move forward with that knowledge. Her scene and then with... she ends off with a need to avenge her sister. Mm-hmm. So she has the next thing to go. So you're right. This is more her film from a narrative, structural point of view than the titular character. Yeah, because we don't need to... Because <laughs> to be honest, this is the way Disney's in with their passive progressiveness. They go, it's we back. really... To be, no, to be honest, <laughs> after she died at the end of... In the middle of Endgame, that was it. She's, yeah. She probably, this might be her last film. It's her last big paycheck and she probably doesn't need to come back to these films. She might. She might come back. Might be the Chris Evans effect. But like you said, it will probably be on a astronomically smaller contract. Something that will allow her to kind of just, you know, press to that. To do it without the commitment. Yeah. Although I don't think she will, but... No. Well, to be not. honest, I hope not too. I mean, no. I think this, this film is really about that because that's the fact that I can identify that hero's journey in which most of the character progression that Florence Pugh's character gets is is uh, clear, clear identifiable points in, in this. And the thing with David, like that scene with David Harbour where he starts singing, it's like, ah, see, this really is them pointing out these are the two characters that we're going to be focusing on in right. the next phase. Like, yeah. it, it, I'm not sure Harbour will get like a main film or a main run, but he will definitely be in future shows. It'll be cool to see him in Hawkeye if that's where they're going. I feel this. like they will be. Yeah. I mean, when the the post credit scene clearly shows that might John Walker might cross over too, actually, because oh, okay. it's that right. She's a oh, she's the one in Falcon, yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that, and then I read after. I was like, mm. oh, that's meant to be her. I think she's meant to be like yeah. Madame Hydra, is what I've heard. I forgot. By the way, I'm going back to Loki for a second. There's that one scene in Loki where they basically she's trying to prove to the other variants that they are variants, mm-hmm. um, and she goes back to a high school in 2018. And picks a very specific character. To, I'm like, was she in a Spider-Man movie? I don't... I feel like she Like might. she's like the principal of the school. Yeah, they, it's very specifically 2018 that she travels to. And it's a high school that looks very similar to the high school in the Spider-Man movies. She and could she, have just been it. Maybe she might have been... But she wasn't... Because the only... That would have been cool if she was the in The only other though. characters we see in the Spider-Man one outside of like sort of the main ensemble is like those two on the TV, but they're like, it's like a they're school. Kids, new, they're kids. Yeah, it's yeah, kids yeah, yeah. Report. I we can don't... only remember the male teachers in that film. Only male teachers go on the, on the field trip in the second one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so strange. Yeah. No, they're probably, you know what? There must have been something there. I reckon that's probably one of those Easter eggs. Like she probably actually is the principal of that school. Yeah. A very but specific it's... date. That's why I noticed it. Yeah. But uh, anyway, the complete aside for Loki just reminded me of that for some reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I Did look. The, I, the I, first Spider-Man film come out before. Well, 2017. 
But 2018 is very specifically before the snap. So there must be something there. Mm. I don't know. I They wouldn't put it in there if there wasn't some reason. No, I agree. I, you've, it, probably, yeah. you've probably just picked up on like an Easter egg. There must like, be. i got to look this up. It's probably Easter egg probably. I, yeah, I kind of... I hope there's something there. You're right. Okay. Um, well, but, well, I want I want to talk more about Florence Pugh. Sure. In particular, now this what a surprise. is <laughs> the love of my life. Yes. No, so this is what I was mentioning before because mm. I think a couple of things. First off, I'm much more happy to see actors who I love in the MCU over directors because I think they ultimately they they get the momentum, they get the popularity because now more people know Florence Pugh, not just people who like weird horror films or Little Women like I do, but I have an issue with directors doing it, and I'm not going to talk about Kate Shortland too much in this. I haven't seen any of her other films, of course, the director of this film. But I I noticed that trend when they grabbed directors like Patty Jenkins. Once Mm. she started doing um, Wonder Woman films, and now she's tied to all this franchise stuff with Star Wars and more Wonder Womans and all of this thing. And I think I get worried when I see auteurs, including that Emerald Fennell. Now she's doing, I think, a Star Wars movie or... She's doing something, superhero mm. or something. But I see that I get really upset. So I want to... No, I think it's a very valid point. I think... Yeah. Um, they seem for, tied down more. Because you know, I think you are raising it. So, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, with Florence Pugh. And, and I think it's just because directors are bound to the, the formulas, these mm. generic, uh, inconsequential. And it almost benefits that a lot of these films, like, um, you know, like your... You know, you. I, I think you're 100 percent right. Like they are completely confined to this this Disney esque formula because mm-hmm. there's so many producers and and probably focus groups and all kinds of people yeah. that that we don't even normally account for in films, um, like preview screenings and stuff like unofficial preview screenings and 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 I honestly think they probably do have. I wouldn't surprise me if they don't have focus groups and stuff like that. People that oh, like a you know, million percent they do. It's become these movies have become almost like video games that we have people that mm. watch them just to try and get the the literally like these films are trying to cater to the lowest common denominator so they yeah. can maximize well, their coverage. So that's half do- the reason they're passive progressive is because mm. they still need to make money in China. Yeah, well, but it, yeah. it comes back to the stuff that they did with Star Wars, like like that cuts the LGBTQ the, yeah. scene out. The little kiss. Uh, yeah, they cut it out in regions just to make sure that they were covering all the bases and it's like yeah. uh, there's no surprise there and i i, that's I, why I get worried about directors getting tied in this. and that's why it's the inverse with actors because it's like obviously florence Pugh has now had like we said oscar nominated so it's hardly like she's like n- needs these films for um performances they're mostly just a ground to get a mass appeal behind yeah her, well basically. more people now know her name and people walk out of this even though i'm i'm confident i'm telling you all they made this movie being like, we're going to specifically engineer this so people walk out being like, Florence Pugh was great. And that's exactly what they did. And I don't think it's anything to do with her performance. Now, I what I noticed about her performance, which I thought was really interesting, and this goes back to what I was saying before about characters who can quip, characters who can't quip. Mm-hmm. I think I found her shockingly straight in this film. And what I mean is that she doesn't really lean one way or the other. And I know that, you know, it feels like that character. I didn't really even pick up on that because we don't really see much of her character before she gets sort of gassed with that sort of free, you're free now. But I think it was all in her accent. I think there was something about her. And I, I'm saying this as she did this on purpose. Mm-hmm. I'm totally. I'm not saying this is a lack of ability. 
I think there was a lack of flexibility in her performance, both physically and um, with her voice. Obviously, she's doing the accent. And I am terrible at telling you from a good accent to a bad accent, so I'm not going to get into that. But I felt like her accent actually kind of restricted her vocal range. So when she is sort of getting upset at the dinner table or she's doing the jokey, making fun of the Scarlett Johansson pose, for example, the way she delivers it, there's kind of like a straight line where she doesn't really lean too much into the comedy or too much Mm. into the drama. I think the, the vocal range is actually so restricted that it actually makes for a more interesting delivery of the jokes and the sadder moments. So I thought that was like a weird comparison to, again, the Chris Hemsworth. He, his demeanor completely changes when he's trying to be funny. Mm. And, I, and I felt Florence Pugh actually was sort of playing something in the middle here. And I also want to say with her physical performance, like when she's making fun of the pose or even when she does it herself, there's sort of like this robotic energy where she's almost like struggling to move her arms and stuff when doing it. And I was like, that's actually like a really clever detail. She is a really talented. So, I mean, you look at. Her. I mean, I love that, and that's one of the things. You know, you take Greta Gerwig's like Little Women. You mm. just look at like you've got that Emma Watson, who's like an established, and then there's those three real up and comers at that point. Like, yeah. and still, I, I mean, still even now. I mean, unfortunately, I reckon I, Saoirse was pretty cemented by. Little I think Women, that film cem- that, that film cemented her though. Like, okay, but to she'd be, be nominated three times before that film already. So well, yeah, Brooklyn and, and Lady Bird, right? So, yeah. um. That definitely was that film was obviously for particularly Florence Pugh. That was kind of a coming out party. That I was think. a big one for her to do. Um, Just that year in general, because that was all Midsummer, Fight with My Family, all in the same year. Yeah, and big year for her. I, th- I think this, yeah, like you said, these films do benefit actors more because mm. particularly these sort of actors that are in their early twenties and stuff that are really looking to have that sort of what well, legacy cemented. You know, they're trying to have a point in time where they can make not to, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a profession and they do make enough money. I mean, Patterson talk, I, you know, I've talked about it on and off mm. the show, you know, with Robert Patterson, with twilight and stuff like they need these, a couple of these movies to make the money. So they don't have to worry if they can then experiment and push more. And, and obviously, like you said, they're leaning away from these eight uh, film deals now, but they're mm. still, you know, you, you do three or four of these films. You're probably set for there's life. There's still a big commitment, you know, um and it's done wonders for you know you know Robert Downey Jr's career and and a lot of these oh big parts if not their whole careers to this franchise um i think like it's definitely a, you know obviously it's eight films a lot for chris evans but i mean chris evans before then was in some stuff he was still quite you know he was still reasonably established at that point but definitely cemented yeah. it by the end of well, when the he, summation of his MCU tenure well when he when he went on to do Captain America that was sort of the joke is well he did Johnny Storm yeah he was already a superhero at that point yeah so it was interesting to see him turn that around and actually prove he could do it god you like watch Sunshine with him and he's like kind of a tool you like okay. you just appreciate yeah. how much you haven't can... seen Sunshine it's so great I thought you were going to say Little Miss Sunshine um, <laughs> he's not in that movie yeah but <laughs> She is probably the best part of the film. Her and David Harbour are the, the right, two, okay. which is why that scene really points out the fact, oh man, this film really is just a platform for these two characters, isn't it? It's it's a shame. And you know, like I said, Scarlett is not the star of her own film. And it's like, I get why, because there were these other priorities. But my God, it's just a shame. Because you sit there and it's like, <laughs> what, really, what was the point? Of that? I, yeah. I still submit. And like, I understand... 
it would have been nice to have had the Black Widow film earlier, before the Avengers, to get that lead in, but I understand the reality of it, and I understand that Disney were just too afraid to do that at the time, to have a female-led superhero, and I think the fact that they did Captain Marvel, I mean, we said it then, we did Captain Marvel, that was like one of the first episodes we ever did, and I'm pretty sure we said it then, it should have gone to Scarlett Johansson, yep. that should have been her title, Yeah, you know? and, it, and it would have made a lot more sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh. It's frustrating, and like like I said, I mean, the family dynamic stuff, and I thought it was all fun and games. I, uh, one of the big things for me, and you agree with me on this, I know you do, is in a lot of scenes, and in, in particular some of the dialogue scenes, are edited so oh, awfully. The mixing was, like, just shocking. Like, I, yeah. I just, I can't wrap my head around... Uh, some of the scenes were so clunky in their in their delivery, and and they even when they were especially when they were trying to be funny, and they would just be kind of mm. awkward sometimes. And I, I just I have nothing to. I'm baffled by that because <laughs> I am. They have all the, uh, all the bells and the whistles, and they yet they still can't get some of the fundamental basics down. Well, that's and when the, the focus testing shock. comes in. And people yeah. are like, oh, I'm bored. This scene's taking too long. They were like harsh cuts and. Um, weird sort of diegetic and non-diegetic mixing mm. um, that wasn't like overt and clever. I the film was really quiet. Did you notice? I know, like theater conditions. We weren't in extreme screen, were we? No, um, we weren't. No, no. But I just remember thinking, like, when I walked out of Godzilla versus Kong, and like <laughs> that that film. Say what you want about it, but I remember being like, "Wow, the sound mix is incredible mm. in this film." But like, I could appreciate like that blockbuster level of comprehension of a sound mix and i remember this film has been like really quiet in comparison it yeah just didn't stand out i think it was and then by the end it you know when everything's blowing up it was just like well even then you know why it, wasn't it blowing up my eardrums why wasn't it loud and bombastic it just kind of sounded quiet i think at the end of the day what frustrates me about this film the most is you know she's not a super like she's not a super enhanced person in the sense mm-hmm. of she's human like right. she's very a very mortal person, and actually could have an incredibly interesting and unique Bond esque way of telling this story, mm. um, and yet they go for the same sort of like this film could quite have easily been a Captain America film. Like if you take her out and put a Captain America, someone who's in, in Vince, they tried to make her more like she was like a female version of him. So they mm. want, I really feel like the some of the core problems with these films is when they're, they're this generic is they don't actually appreciate the superhero. Like she is an important character that actually has a really um, unique skill set, And yet we rarely see it past. She can punch and kick and, and yet she's, but, I she's, mean, that's really what she's been doing this whole time. And I think anyway, it's a shame because she's a spy. They... Could you not do a really cool spy caper with this one? Like yeah. it could have been really, it could have been more like a like a Jason Bourne esque film or a or a James Bond film, like a more subtler one, like a Skyfall or something like that. Like, and play to the fact that you know she like we get to see more of the espionage stuff, less of the kick 'em punch 'em, unless it's motivated yeah. stuff. You That's know? the thing, and I didn't really think about this, but I've seen reviews that did point out like she doesn't really do any sleuthing or detecting. She sort of just asks her mum where the main bad guy is and legit. They go there. She legit. So I'm not going to defend that. And that's the thing. There is no... It does not appeal to her strengths. Like, we have seen shows now. Mm. Like, we take one division. We are legitimately exploring her powers 
in yeah. in the in, in unique in, ways in the, in the in the ways that only she can do. Mm. In which that way we're appreciating the superhero, and yet we're still keeping it in the confines of our structured universal point of view. And it's the same thing with Loki. Like the and albeit even with. The you know Cap Falcon Winter Soldier. There's not much else you really could have done with those guys. I mean, yeah. that's pretty. I mean, one of them has a metal arm and is, is strong. That's pretty much <laughs> all he does. He's really not. Well, he that has interesting. the same serum, yeah. But exactly. you're right, it's a strong, yeah. And it's like with her, we should be doing like you know we should be like looking and exploring the the espionage side of it, and it would have been astronomically more interesting than yeah. go to a sky fortress and burn that up. Like, I mean the 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 stuff that, and like you said, yeah, she doesn't do any sleuthing. She literally goes, yeah, where's the? She goes to her mum. Her mum go goes, oh yeah, he's basically up. He's up in the sky. <laughs> he did a little head tilt as well. And it's like, I just, yeah, he's up there, mate. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just it really uh, when you're God. not even a pre because what that is is that's basically going. We know you're already in the cinema and you've bought a ticket to this. Like we're <laughs> going to give you what we give you. And when we. If we don't stop calling out the fact that they don't even care about the thing that they're making or they're using they're using us as nothing more than a cash grab and they're not really appreciating the fact that, you know, this person who deserved a film is not even the star in our own film. It's mm. like, well, what can we do at that point? Yeah. I yeah, mean, look, the I don't fact know. that we, I mean, we, we, the Red Room is nothing more than a set piece that we walk by like we're exploring a facility. Like, oh, cool, that's a room with a bunch of people doing... Like we barely see the red room at all. Right. We barely look into the, in the Wait, indoctrination. I think, I think Disney will probably like. We don't want to see what's in that red room. <laughs> it's like this totally too could dark. Have, this could have been way more of a girl with a dragon tattoo sort of vibe. You, you know? know. You know what they should have done? They should have gone in the red room and then played a cover of "Smells Like Teen Spirit," that is so grossly inappropriately used. Like you figure when when they did the opening credits, which apparently is the first opening credits in an MCU film since Guardians, which. I guess that makes sense how you think about it. They literally just have hello, hello, just over and over and over again during this like dramatic scene, the Zack Snyder directed scene of the girls like getting kidnapped for brainwashing. I'm like, this music sucks. (laughs) That's what they would have done if we went to the Red Room. I needed to point. That was so bad. (laughs) It's like, what are they doing? It's so bad. I I just, yeah, Uh, I can't, I can't look past it. I'm sorry. It was... Yeah, look, I think I think for me, and I've already said this, I think I sort of, I went into it being like, all right, it's going to be a spy thriller, it's going to be Black Widow or the Black Widows or you know whatever you want to call it. I sort of switched my brain off for all of those things you could call genre conventions. Like, yeah, it's a weak spy story if that's all she did to find the main bad guy. But in the same token, it's like that with the action. I sort of just fizzled out with the action. The only action scene I liked was actually the first one in the flashback when they get on the plane and, and David Harbour's on the on the winning the plane shooting, I was like, that's the only scene I even, or the only action scene I even liked because it was sort of comprehensible and it was also small enough scale. You know what I mean? But w- once there were enough explosions going on, I just sort of switched my brain off. And I I know you're sort of throwing your arms up mm. the air being like, that should have broke her arm and that should have broke her leg. And I switched my brain off for that stuff because I think that's just... Yeah, but I'm not talking about yeah. that now. I'm, I, know, I, was, I know, I know. And I, I actually, when I brought that up when I was in my fit of post-cinema rage, which... <laughs> post-cinema rage. Um, that stuff really frustrates me. But now it's definitely more the fact that we weren't even exploring what makes her the, right. the best. The okay. fact that we were literally betraying the fact that the whole point of these widows, uh, they're not necessarily like 
they went from being marketed as these ultimate espionage weapons to he's creating a bunch of super soldier women really that's what they they changed the mindset to like and 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 if you look at the mm. intro they're doing like a cold war thing they're playing an american family and they're they're clearly like obviously david harbour's character who's this red guardian and stuff they're they're doing espionage and that's the only bit of espionage we see in the whole Mm. whole film and it's a flashback and it's like what do they do with her and florence pugh's character well basically they just go well we've changed from that we don't do espionage is boring now we're going to give you a sky fortress to blow up like that (laughs) it really is they're just neglecting the fact that the whole point of her what makes her the ultimate weapon is that she not only can beat you up but she's smarter that's the whole i mean that's the appeal of the james bond-esque character that right and and that's sort of what she, that's exactly what she is she's someone who can do exactly what james bond does which is equally as empowering and cool and entertaining i mean those 007 films have been for the most part reasonably positive in the last couple of years and they yeah. mix the action and espionage genre really well right and it's funny you mentioned that how it's about him creating female super soldiers because i'm i gotta say the line that i mentioned earlier that he says when when he's this is before she breaks her own nose and he's giving his little monologue speech in that monologue which totally went over my head he uses the line explaining why he has these female soldiers quote using the only natural resource that the world has too much of girls mm. that is an actual line from the movie yeah. that slipped my mind in the theater mm. i'm like did he actually just say that what I know you want to villainize your villain, but what human being calls... Not women, because I've seen people use the coin and say women. No, no, he says girls, not women. And then compares them to a nature resource that the world is too much of. And this is the guy whose daughter's face was blown off. I mean... What did you, what did you think of the Taskmaster oh reveal? God. See, I was I thought we'd get through it, the whole thing without. I had to mention it. About it. See, I don't care um, because I've no. I don't. I, but I'm no with relation you on to that, the comics. Okay, yeah. I'm yeah. with you on that. I'm I'm going to say this right now, and I'm going to keep saying it. We've, this whole episode has been Samantha dedicated to you. Over again. Yeah. We've been dedicated to the MCU. We've sacrificed our time. We've watched all of this. <laughs> I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to think it's just crap. So I'm just like, but. <laughs> We've watched this, you know, this stuff, and I tell you this right now, it's not for you comic book people anymore. And sorry, it's not. Let it go. It's like I'm a Star Wars fan, and I've grown up, and I adore every element of Star Wars. Star Wars isn't for me anymore. It's not. It's not for the people that take the absurd amount of time to read ahead in the comics or see, oh, well, this guy was like this in this comic and this guy. It's not for you anymore. They've taken (laughs) your property. They own your property. Honestly... It probably yeah. it really did die when probably when Stan Lee passed away. To be honest, it was pretty yeah. close to that. It's like like the fact of the matter is you lost that power when you sold all your rights and you wanted movies because they're a different medium, they're a different way of telling stories. And now that Disney literally owns pretty much all of them, yeah. it's their story to tell on their terms with their focus groups and their convoluted money <laughs> money grubbing uh, producers you know it's like next week on the show i'm going to talk about a show that came out on prime that talks about superhero genre and plays to its own strengths and is probably the best thing i've seen come out of the superhero genre Mm. in the last 10 years and it's because it actually has actions and consequences Mm. and tangible threats and legitimately fantastic writing and i just think that 
I don't care if Taskmaster is not the this apparently, but it's the same thing though. What I don't like is they've taken a character and they've completely changed the character for its abilities. All ta- like apparently Taskmaster. I don't know this much, but all I yeah. know is apparently he actually creates like escape rooms and stuff like that. Like he literally sets people to tasks and stuff like that. Puts uh, him in kill. He's like the Riddler. Yeah, he's, and he still has this sort of threat and stuff, but he he's more about like the hunt. Like it's more like yeah. a, like a game for him. And to he, and I don't care that it's obvious. If you watch this film, who else was Taskmaster going to be? Yeah, in the confines of this film. The only ex- explained exactly, yeah. was the daughter. What I don't like about that whole sequence is nothing to do with that. It's the fact that um, Black Widow drops from a sky fortress, barely <laughs> makes the ground, picks a fight with Taskmaster. For some reason, she now regrets the fact that she burned her alive and completely killed her and destroyed her. She always regret That's the whole thing. I guess. She just didn't know she was still alive. Yeah, but then suddenly like they're A-OK because she... You what know, like used a use that conveniently placed vial that somehow survived the twenty five thousand feet fall. <laughs> that's another moment I remember this year. Come on, yeah, like, that's look, that's if that's not plot. That's what I'm talking about with plot contrivances. Like, it's like it's, I fade out during those scenes, so it's like it's like I don't know where the vial came. I'm guessing I just blinked when they showed that one frame that kind of explains it. I guess you know because like, the editing is so chop chop. Especially chop, chop, when chop. they put such an emphasis on the fact that these things can break. And there's only a finite amount of them, and yet somehow in a twenty, uh, they fall from twenty, thirty thousand feet, and there's just one conveniently placed between the two characters and yeah. the one that really needs it, that will fix all the problems. <laughs> it, it's ridiculous, and the fa- the fact of the matter is, it's it's yeah, the fact that they, they, they managed to beat Taskmaster before that by trapping her in a room. That was impenetrable in like a comedic sense too. Oh they right, yeah, the little glass cell thing. They take away any of the potency of that of that character, and I don't like when you. What I don't like is not that the whole comic book. Oh, it's it's a dude. I don't care about that. What I care about is if you're going to use a superhero or a supervillain, just keep them the same way that they were in the, the, the law because you're just going to piss people off or don't use that one. Make one up. See, yeah. I think that, I don't know, because if you weren't allowed to change characters, then you wouldn't have Taika Waititi doing what he did before. I guess. Which fair. people generally like. Okay, there can be alterations, sure, but, I mean, what was Taskmaster really in this, this a copycat and a person that shot a bow? <laughs> Didn't speak. Um, oh, and then it's completely normal by it, the end. Yeah, it came in way too late, that reveal. Because if we wanted to see that arc of, of them forgiving mm-hmm. um, Natasha for <laughs> basically killing her, but not really killing her, then it needed to come in earlier. I think this film in general... Natasha just, ruined her life. Like, well, yeah, but I, I think this film in general just starts, quote-unquote, way too late. Like, it's like generally... F- 40, 50 minutes before you realize what the actual plot is. It's actually true. And I get about. Like, I remember getting about 40, 40 minutes in, and I whispered to. We actually went and saw this with our friend Morgan. Yeah. And I actually said to him, I'm "Like, do you actually know what's going on?" <laughs> and he went, "It's like no. you, you and me and Tenet." <laughs> yeah. An hour in, what the hell is this movie about? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, I mean, that's a good note to end on. Cool. Highlight scenes, Zeke. What, what was your highlight scene, if any? Um, I don't mind the intro. Okay, That's the cool. takeoff scene at the airport. 
don't mind it. Yeah, it was I, actually I, I thought it was pretty decent. good steak scene. Yeah. Only a bit of espionage in the film. Maybe that's why I like it. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, well, I, I kind of already said it earlier, but I that the family reunion scene, I appreciate that it actually slowed down. That was actually one of the least poorly edited scenes. I think the one in particular when it's it's just the two sisters at the dinner talking about their family and having a dog and then it cuts to random families around them. I just the editing in that scene is abysmal. Mm. But I think they really pulled it back a bit on the on the thing. And I, I just like the stereotypical the dad's flirting with the mum and then the, the daughters are like, Ugh, they're cringing and mm. just like that base level and then that leads into the scene, you know, with the father and daughter. Yeah. And they're reminiscing or, or connecting and I, I think that was the strength that this film was going for. I think it worked for me better than it worked for you, but um, I think that's my highlight scene. And we can't not mention that Kate Shortland's ode to the Russos with their giant-ass text. <laughs> I like that text. <laughs> Which <laughs> That goes back a long way with yeah. us, me and my beef with the text, the font why. size. <laughs> I think it's great. It, it's not necessary, Zeke. It should be smaller. You like the text in Loki? <laughs> What's the text in Loki? Kind of like it's very in the similar. Cor- it's in the corner though, isn't it? No, it's Mac bang in the middle. Oh, well, then I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even notice it. I'm going to make a film now just to have that text in there. Just, just have big ass text. Well, big ass text. Yeah, Black Widow in cinemas or Premier Access and Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. If you can go to a cinema, do that instead. I, I, you know, I, I mean, you've already heard our massive spoiler cast on all of, all things MCU, but um, if you need a recommendation. You're probably going to get one from me, not from Zeke. But yep. Yeah. Too easy. No worries. Well, speaking of cinemas, Jake, what's new in cinemas and streaming platforms this week? Yeah, it's a bit of an odd week in a lot of stuff. Uh, on Netflix, for example, we're getting The Last Letter from Your Lover, which sees a journalist set out to solve the mystery of a secret affair amidst finding a series of love letters from the 60s. Seems a bit romancy. Mm-hmm. Well, we shall see. Uh, it's also directed by Augustine Frizzle, who directed the Euphoria pilot episode. So if you like the first episode of Euphoria more than the others, then there you go. Also, the Guillermo del Toro animated series Troll Hunters: Tales of Attica or Arcadia gets its own feature film this week on Netflix called Troll Hunters: Rise of the Titans. So if you know that show, heard of it, like it, like him, there you go. Coming to stand this week is the beautiful animated film uh, Percy Polis. I believe that's how it's pronounced. I looked at the trailer and it looks right up my alley. Very uh, swallows a kaboo type animated films i'm very keen mm-hmm. on that also suburbicon hatchsaw ridge and a classic amongst my high school friends teeth if you don't know what teeth is god bless your soul what's that on <laughs> uh stan it's on stan uh coming to disney plus is ice age the meltdown which i think is the second one because the first yes. one the first one's yes. the dinosaurs yeah so that's coming uh coming to apple tv plus this friday the 23rd is the second season of the golden globe winner ted lasso show and on that very same day on Prime, you can also watch Re- Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which we did in episode 94, I believe. Mm, rarely. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, and coming to cinemas this week, there's not a lot, actually. Old is the latest thriller from M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong that sees a family on holiday discovering a secluded beach that mysteriously and rapidly ages them. What's that from? Turning. What's this? That reference you just had. I don't think it's from anything. I mean, people just make fun of his name all the time. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't, I'm sure people have said that exact phrase before. Um, but yeah, it's about the family who mysteriously and rapidly age on the secluded beach or island or whatever it is, uh, which turns their entire lives into a single day. And I wasn't really interested in this, but then I noticed the cast in- involved Alex Wolf from Hereditary, 
Thomason McKenzie from Jojo Rabbit, and of course, Eliza Scanlon. I told you she would come back right at the end. Um, so I'm kind of half keen to see this. We kind of actively chose not to do this next week. We should start doing a um, Eliza Scanlon death count. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, or she, take the bet at the start of the movie. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the premise alone. They yeah. age until they she's die not, she's rapidly. Not gonna... She's not going to last. <laughs> this is a death trap. Yeah. Uh, and last but not least, and I say not least because it includes me, uh, playing at Inaloo Event Cinemas this Wednesday the 21st, Envoy Shark Cull is a documentary that explores the government's shark control program that kills thousands of sharks every year. And the reason I say that is because there is some drone footage in this film shot by yours truly. And in fact, some of the footage might be some of the ones where you were there with me. That's pretty groovy. So that's cool. That's uh, Inaloo. And I think... Our last Whitford. ever exam. Yeah, right? it was that day. Yeah, there we Exactly go. right. Why'd you wink at me? There was nothing... Oh. You winked at me. Did I? As if like... As if there was like something. I think I was squinting. Oh, okay. Because it was like, you're right. That is the last day. <laughs> no, there's nothing to wink about. Oh, stop doing it. <laughs> um, so if you're keen to see that and potentially my name in the credits, if it's not in there, I don't know why I signed all those forms, but <laughs> then there's that's this Wednesday. Um, but yeah. No dramas. Well, we're not catching any of those next week on the show. <laughs> we are actually doing something that is on one of those streaming platforms. Yeah, I think it's on Prime. It is. Nice. It is. Uh, Jake, what are we watching? Next week on the show, Zeke, we're watching Kajillionaire. After this person. And clear. Now. There's a camera there, there, and there. Cash. Nope, mini order. This is not a cheap tie. Most people want to be cajillionaires. That's the dream. That's how they get you hooked. Hooked on sugar, hooked on caffeine. Ha, ha, ha. Cry, cry, cry. Me, I prefer to just skip. So do I. February, March, April. Uh, we may have to pay an installment. Rent is an installment. It's a monthly installment. They are real characters. Super unique. But you vouch for them, right? She learned to forge before she learned to write. Well, actually, that's how she did learn to write. My favorite movies are the Ocean Eleven movies. This is exactly the kind of thing that I've been wanting. So what do your parents do, hon? Hon, you've never called me that. But you could if it was a job, though, right? Old Dolio, the daughter of two scam artists, plots a new scheme to pay their rent. But when their parents invite a stranger, Melanie, to join their plan, Dolio's world turns upside down. I like that write-up a lot, actually. That's a good yeah. write-up. Um, yes, yeah, so I think I might have to do a rewatch of it, or at least. Seen, yes, um, I only watched it what, a week or two ago on the show. So I mean, last um, week we talked, about but we it, did yeah. say on that episode mm. and they needed to have a full episode. And to be honest, bit of a dry. We're in that dry part of the year. Um, yeah, we sort of took a look. I mean, we looked at old, of course, that we just mentioned, and a few other things that are out, and it just nothing was that enticing that we. Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, we're going back in the well slightly. To one of my favorite films of last year. And, yeah. um, no worries. I'm excited to rewatch it myself. Well, until then, thank you for joining us for the Cinema Sideshow podcast. I was Zeke. I was Jake. We'll catch you next week with Kajillionaire. Cha ching!